Hello everyone and welcome from the Grief Burrito Galaxy far, far away where the guac cluster circles and the picante lamb burns with the heat of countless supernovae as they circle into the supermassive black hole that is my stomach. I am Harrison Wilde and there walking out of the room full of dead younglings is my co-host Jordan Shenton. Tell them what we are, Lord Shenton of the Sith. We are a video game movie and entertainment podcast here to fill these quarantine months with... Less grimness and more fun. Less grimness. <laughs> That's right. And today we've got a very special interview for our burrito family. By now, you've probably seen the name of the episode, so you'll know that we have the incredible John Knowles on. His career has spanned not one, not two, but ten Star Wars titles running since the Super Nintendo. And also, before we begin, I've got to give a big shout out to my second cousin, Jared, who I believe has started listening along with his epic mum, Kelly. So enjoy the show, dude. This episode is for you. And I also want to give a big shout out to our new listeners in Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, California, and Texas. We see you out there. And you guys out there in India, we love that you're listening as well. We've got loads of listeners in India now, Jordan. Yeah, Mr. Worldwide or Mr. Worldwide, plural. mate. Mr. Plural, yes. Mr. Worldwide's. <laughs> Also, remember to find us on our socials at Grief Burrito and leave us a five-star rating and review to help us raise the ranks even further up those charts because you are building this show with us. Let's do it. We ready? Yes. Hit me. Do I have to? Yes. (laughs) Harder, Daddy. (laughs) Call me scum. Oh, God. Don't leave that in. Right, well, we are live, guys. So, welcome everyone to the stream. I can see we've got some viewers already, so welcome. Anyone who doesn't know, I'm Harrison, and that wonderful beardy boy over there is Jordan Shenton. So, say hello, Jordan. Nice little wave there. Hello! Loving the white backdrop you've got today as well. It's so creased, I feel bad. I know, you should have ironed it first. (laughs) (laughs) Who has time to iron on a Sunday? Yeah, that's a good point. It's God's day. It's a rest day. Uh, welcome to the stream, John. <laughs> Thank you for taking some time out of your day to tune in with us to talk to us about all the games that you've worked on, because you've had a pretty amazing career. Would you like to introduce yourself properly and let our listeners know what you've been working on and a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is John Knowles. I'm a uh, design director at Turn 10 Studios uh, in Redmond, Washington, outside Seattle. I've been there about 10 years, and um, I guess you could say uh, for the most of the past 10 years, I've been working pretty exclusively on the Forza Horizon series with our friends at Playground Games in Leamington mm-hmm. Spa, lovely part of the UK. Um, but uh, as of late, I'm transferring over to other sort of, I guess you could call them franchise level design initiatives. It's hard to describe, but there's always okay. lots of work behind the scenes uh, to get um, to get all the, the, the features and and uh, all the things that you know pl- our players want to see in our games, and so I'll be spending mm-hmm. a lot of time working on that stuff. And they said it's hard to describe, it's but it just amazing. made me want to ask you to describe it. I was like, "What, what do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> That's Harrison down to a T. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like said it would be difficult, but <laughs> a lot of documents, a lot of documents, a lot of PowerPoint slides. It's not quite as exciting oh, cool. as you know the maybe some of the the stuff I did in my earlier years where I'm 
I'm making, man, I see you got the, the dirty wampa there, we used to call him in, your, in the uh, chat. There. We do. Yeah, 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 we do. <laughs> we do have some questions, yeah. to be fair. Well, that may have some answers. <laughs> um, so, uh, we're going to be running through, kind of linearly through your, your gaming career anyway. So, we've got some questions All about right. each of the games that you've worked on. So, that's about a decade every 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Yeah. About that, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Condensed, Condensed is what we're going okay. for. First of all, I have just got Forza Horizon 4, so thank you for that. It's a really, really cool game, really enjoying that. I got on that from Carlos last, uh, the week before last, wasn't it, Jordan, we had mm -hmm. Carlos yeah. on? Yes. Um, yep. He was filling us in on that game, and then it popped up on Game Pass, like, literally the next day, and I was like, well, there's no excuse not to try it now. I've literally just got to grab it right away, because, yeah. like you said about the castles, I need to get those. Yeah. What things do you love about developing for the hardware on what you're making now? Because obviously the games now are very different than making like Super Star Wars on the SNES. What do you enjoy now working on the more modern hardware? Is there anything you can tell us about that? Well, in a lot of ways, yeah, I mean, it's different, but a lot of ways it's the same. Uh, and that okay. means, you know, for example, you know, when we're working on the 8-bit Nintendo, we had, you know, four palettes of four colors. And as an artist mm -hmm. at the time, um, you know, that was maddening, but you made it work, right? And it wasn't even yeah. four palettes of four colors. It was four palettes of three colors plus a, what you call a zero color, which could be black or blue or white or whatever you want. Okay. So you had to figure out how to make interesting backgrounds and animations and all that thing out of four colors. Then the Super Nintendo comes along. And we got 256 colors. Whoa, or so many colors. Or palettes of 16 or something. Like it was, it was mind-blowing. Like I had, we had no idea, what are we going to do with all these colors, right? Um, <laughs> so it was, this, it was this revolutionary leap, you know. And then the Nintendo 64 came out, and it was 3D. And oh, my <laughs> God, you know, you can do all these amazing things. And I think mm -hmm. hardware changes almost, they, they almost don't seem quite as revolutionary um more like evolutionary nowadays because yeah like jordan said maybe it's a, yeah. a frame of reference maybe it's because that was like you know the stone you know wheel <laughs> at the time you know <laughs> and and now we're you know just like the car was revolutionary when it came out and now it's they all look the same however uh i think this is an interesting generation like with the series x coming and the i'm sure the playstation 5 is going to be amazing mm -hmm. and pc video cards just keep pumping out, you know, these fantastic, um, you know, products that just, you know, they blow your mind in a similar yeah. way to, to, uh, to where things were before. So now, you know, people are contemplating ray tracing and, you know, millions of polygons per frame. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, these were unconceivable, inconceivable back in the day. What did you make of the new RTX video? Did you see that as well, Jordan, the RTX video? I did, yeah. I saw the prices too. Yeah, they're, they're so cheap compared to the old ones. What? Obviously, as a, as a man who spent the RTX money, Jordan, how are you <laughs> feeling about that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel bad that I got a 2080 Ti when the next generation's coming out that's like half the price and performs better. Yeah, it's That insane. annoys me a little bit. Yeah. However... The, the things we do for the things we love. Exactly. Harrison. The perils of being an early adopter. You know, you just, yeah, that, exactly. that's the price you pay for being first in line. It is. Yeah. Oh, you know, of that paving the way for, for everyone else. Yes. Here I am. You're taking the brunt of the development cost yourself to take it off All the backs right. of everyone else. Just me. Just you, John. You're a generous man. <laughs> so, 
I think an obvious question for yourself, almost straight away, is how did you actually start getting into making games then? I guess you could say it was a it was a blend of accident and and design. <laughs> Where, you know, I went to a commercial art school uh, immediately after finishing high school back in the late okay. 80s. Um, and, uh, in a, you know, I studied illustration. I used an airbrush, which, you know, before Photoshop, that's how people made drawings that look like photographs, right? And yeah. um, there was a little bit of computer graphics, but not much. I mean, I think there was a, something called the Quantel paint box that... Well, you know, okay. you could use, and I think D-Paint on the Amiga had just come out, so we had been, uh, Deluxe Paint was kind of a revolutionary painting tool that was used to make every game in the 90s. <laughs> but, yeah, there wasn't really um, a direct game connection there. I wanted to work in industrial design. I wanted to design cool products or cars or oh, wow, airplanes okay. or, you know, in those days my mind was wide open. I thought I'd, I thought I'd be um, doing some really concept art for movies that was really inspired by Joe Johnston and, you know, cool. Sid yeah, Mead yeah. and legends like that. Then I went out and interviewed a, a guy at Boeing and he said, yeah, these paintings are amazing, but let me show you what I do. And he showed <laughs> me some really boring technical drawings. And he said, I would hate for this to be your future. You should really go find out how to apply your creativity. Oh, you know? wow. <laughs> and, oh, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, it was, you know, he... He said, yeah, you don't get to paint, you know, really amazing things here. There's like one guy who paints, you know, the new 747 every year. Yeah. Or every time there's a new model. And none of us get to do that. But it was an wow. interesting, uh, you know, perspective. And anyway, just some, some restaurant jobs and T-shirt design jobs and things like that. I did. There was an opening through the job office at school, that, uh, a local video game company that had said um, mm -hmm. they were looking for two creative, uh, you know, inexperienced, but, you know, creative uh, people and say, hey, that's me. <laughs> so a friend of mine and I both went and joined Taito Software. Again, outside of Seattle, mm -hmm. Taito has, has been known for doing arcade machines and games like mm -hmm. 1942, the, the top-down airplane yeah, yeah. <laughs> game and, and yeah. Commando and things like that. And uh, we both got the job. And he ended up being a founder of Sucker Punch years later. Um, oh, wow. Oh, okay. His name is Dev Madden, super talented artist. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and we both our first game was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade for the 8-bit Nintendo, which was oh, being so published cool. by Lucasfilm Games. And so right. that was a, a connection to them. And after we got laid off, as soon as we finished the game, got laid off. That's kind of a common theme in the game industry. Mm -hmm. um, I actually managed to use some of those contacts for an opportunity to get a job at Lucasfilm Games. Oh, yeah. wow. Glad you did. All in the span of a year. So, so yeah, sort of accidental. Uh, I didn't set out to find a job in the game industry. It wasn't something that any of us knew existed. Right. But, um, you know, the, the path I had taken naturally led me there. And to work for Lucas, which was, you know, childhood yeah. fantasy, right? I bet yeah, it was. Definitely. Like, first of all, thank you to the guy at Boeing for, you know, imagine if you'd got <laughs> someone else <laughs> and he was like, yeah, come and work <laughs> for us. You'd be drawing nuts and bolts for the rest of your life. That's yeah, so exactly. cool that he actually said that you you should do something more creative. That's amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think I reminded him of himself when he had, you know, he had gone to art school. He had done these yeah. amazing illustrations, and you know, you could almost see like the, you know, <laughs> oh, if only I had taken that train instead of that train. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. he was pretty cool. Like, that's so important. That must have been pretty yeah. great. That's like, yeah, just like you're too talented for this. Please use talent. <laughs> yeah, do something that's good. So with cool. It. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's great that you did that though. So, so, so you went into doing Indiana Jones as your first. Like, that's a big title to work on straight away. Like, to get yeah. working with those guys, and then from there, is it that you moved straight away into Super Star Wars? Then was that your next game? No, no, no. So uh, the next game I worked on, as soon as I started at, at Lucas, you know, they they were testing me. In those days, you know, you didn't you didn't mm. just get interviewed and get hired. In fact, they didn't even fly me down. Like I had to drive from Seattle to San Francisco, which is where oh, I'm wow. from, which is where I'm from originally. Um, so it yeah. was nice to to go back to my roots. But um, it's a drive. The, the um, I had to drive all the way down there, so that's a fourteen hour, fifteen hour drive, um, yeah. and uh, and then sleep on a friend's floor. <laughs> while I tested for a, about a week on site, just doing art and backgrounds. And then at the end of the week, they're like, all right, you're good. You can stay. Um, oh, well, that, that's, how things, that's how things were back then. <laughs> but in that, in that week, I had done uh, a lot of backgrounds for a game uh, called Defenders of Dynatron City, which was okay. uh, supposed to be a big multimedia cartoon, TV cartoon, toys and video game. And, you know, it, it was... a something that didn't ultimately pan out to be successful, but it was it was really good experience to just bang through side-scroller backgrounds and animations and all these things that I had just mm -hmm. done a little bit of in uh, in the Indiana Jones game. Well, actually, I did a lot of it, but it was a lot more for Dynatron. And then there were these guys mm -hmm. over... Where, this was at Skywalker Ranch, which is, you know, kind of yeah, mind-blowing to a 21-year-old <laughs> or whatever I was at the time. Yeah. And uh, we're in a, a house they call the stable house. So the, the ranch has the main house, the stable house, and some other houses that are all sound very ranchy. And they look very ranchy, and it's very beautiful. Uh -huh. um, and three of the people I uh, shared the room with were also working on Star Wars 8-bit Nintendo. And that's okay. all I wanted to do. So I stayed late. I did a bunch of... <laughs> bunch of art for that and they're like yeah that's pretty good why don't you you know join us and so and you were just like yes <laughs> yes uh, so i went from no and i always joked about this but in art school i had done like an illustration airbrush of harrison ford mm -hmm. uh, i think from blade runner and and that was one of the pieces i had sent lucas as part of my my you know we didn't have a reel you know you sent a fedex package that had some prints of your artwork and a vhs mm -hmm. videotape of my video game artwork oh <laughs> that nice was, that was my reel That's what amazing. did you do record the screen on the vhs yeah uh, i literally wow. would record the screen on the vhs of all the scenes i made and i did all the cinematic scenes and most of the cinematic scenes in the indiana jones game and again four color you know images of harrison yeah. ford <laughs> and so, and then I ended up, you know, drawing the guy again, you know, mm -hmm. various or modeling him or something in, uh, over the next years at Lucas. But that was kind of a running joke is, you know, I'm always drawing Harrison Ford. Well, you know, <laughs> he's a cool guy. My namesake yeah. as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And I worked with, I worked with a, a Harrison on those games, actually. His name was Harrison oh, Fong. Cool. He was, Harrison uh, Fong. He was the nice. lead artist. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd like to have a chat with him as well. Harrison's everywhere. Yeah, there are, yeah. There's too many. <laughs> yeah, and then, the, and then we did a follow-up, which was The Empire Strikes Back, and we were working on a Return of the Jedi 8-bit Nintendo game when we got our hands on the Super Nintendo development system, so we decided not to make a 8-bit um, game and immediately just jumped right. into a Super Star Wars trilogy, which was like probably some of the most fun I've had making games. Yeah, um, I mean, that, that game is renowned for being challenging. Like, it's known for being a difficult game. Um, and it lo it looks great. Like earlier, it's 
the, the art style is beautiful. So well done with that. It really is. Just the vibrancy of it as well. Yeah. So yeah. the colors are amazing. Really beautiful. What was what was it like moving on to that then from the eight bit? Was it like completely insanely revolutionary, or like what were you actually using to do the artwork yourself? Um, well, it's a combination of again D Paint, which was owned by okay. Electronic Arts. If they had any idea that you know the entire game industry would get their foot in, you know, get their first start using one of their products that they didn't really make much money off of, I think they'd be horrified. In fact. I think we were all using, you know, illegal copies of it or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was actually officially licensed. You just yeah. somebody would say, "Oh, here's this uh, DPaint EXE file. Why don't you just use that?" Um, <laughs> but uh, and they ended up pulling it eventually. But it was a combination of oh, that wow. and uh, some in-house uh, sprite editing tools. Um, okay. Which is, you know, uh, in those days the Super Nintendo games, uh, the engineering, all the programming was done by a team at Sculptured Software in Utah and okay. all the art and design was done by us, uh, at, um, at LucasArts, well, Lucasfilm. Yeah. We had, we had just become LucasArts after Lucasfilm games. And so that was pretty interesting cause it was a, it was a real co-development, <clears throat> um, where two different teams and two different states were actually working on the game together. And so I would, I would whip up a animation of Han Solo, doing barrel rolls underneath the giant walker thing uh, <laughs> on the Death Star and then save that whole file and we'd send it on floppy disks via FedEx uh, to the guys in Utah. They did it a couple <laughs> days later. And then the engineers would take all that plus all the elements I gave them um, uh -huh. that needed to make that work and they would they would code it up the next day and then we'd get a build uh, which is FedEx uh, over a thing. Yeah. And no, that wasn't FedEx, actually. That was actually sent through old school modems, right? Um, oh, wow. And then we'd play it on our dev kit. So it was, it was remarkable that that is the way in which we made uh, three Super Star Wars games over the course of three years. Wow, it is That's amazing. way to do it. So were there any, like, real limitations? So obviously there will be limitations. Oh, yeah. Were there any, like, you had to overcome doing that transition between the 8-bit and 16-bit? Or was it just kind of like, we already kind of know how all this stuff works? No, I think it was, yeah, I think it was more, it was it was freeing, you know. we There were so many limitations in the 8-bit world that it's like, okay, we still have a lot of those, but oh my God, we've got all these colors. But yeah, very soon, as as what happens happened then and happens today the content always expands to fill the expanding capacity of the new platform like what are you going to yes. do with all this memory you know it's going to be amazing and then within you know the first you know few few months of pre-production or or you're already you're already at the limits i mean that so that always happens so there's several levels that got cut that were actually finished and quite fun but couldn't literally fit on the cartridge so, oh, that's uh, such a shame. Yeah, there was a there was a um, trash compactor level, for example, that we never shipped. Oh, nice. I did read about that. Yeah, I did read about it because it was in the um, I think it was in a video game magazine or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The, and, the walls, yeah, the walls like... were coming in, and instead of side scrolling, it's more like trying to keep above the the liquid. And then, oh, the, that sounds you know, great. The, the, mon the monster popping up and doing this. And yeah, <laughs> you couldn't use your blasters because it would ricochet all over the place. So you know. It was uh, oh, it was awesome. it was just a you know get to the top before you get crushed, kind of thing. Yeah, there were a few of those, um, and uh, yeah, so we're always we're always bumping up against the limits. 
God, that's no just way. the nature of game development. It's still a thing. Now now we have, you know, 80 gig games or 100 gig games. Oh, more than that. <laughs> I, what was it? Oh. I didn't even know what a, somebody tried to explain to me what a gigabyte was back then. I wouldn't believe them. Because, oh, I know. You know uh, we get 100 on. gig updates for like <laughs> modern warfare and it fills my Xbox up and I'm like, stop, please. <laughs> Running yeah, it's out of room. Me now that graphics cards are like, my graphics cards are 11 gigabytes. That's insane to me. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, like, Jesus. it's maddening. At, oh. You know, X-Wing, I think we shipped on 13 floppy disks, I think, you know, and those are 1.14 megabytes. So, wow. Oh, wow. You know, that's... Um, <laughs> I think at some point I tried to figure out how many how many floppy disks would would it take to make a 80 gigabyte game. I think it came out to 6000. Wow, oh, wow, God. Or something like that. Uh, I'm not great at math. I came from art and then I just went yeah, to yeah. game design and I skipped I skipped the whole math part, but I seem to recall a number like that. Maybe it was even higher than that. Wow, imagine yeah, installing that along it take. Yeah. It's got to be somebody Three weeks math. later. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that when on a uh, Super Star Wars, there is a particular level where you're driving the speeder across the desert. Yeah. And when you shoot the Jawas, they go, ooh, dee dee, and shoot up in the air like a rocket. Yes. yes. I was so happy about that. You have no idea. <laughs> Me and my girlfriend shout hootini all the time, just <sighs> randomly. They, they really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. They were thing. We had a lot of silly. We tried to keep it fun. I mean, that mm. was, you know, given the nature of the platform, it can't be oh so serious. Um, yeah. You know, there's small little cartoon characters. They're little sprites. So we tried to have a little fun with that. And, you know, the a lot of the themes, if there were any themes behind the levels, it was what really happened on the way to, you know, find R2-D2. Um, and so, well, Luke fell into a cave and battle a bunch of womp rats. What does womp rat look like? I don't know, but they must be two meters tall and maybe they have baby womp rats and you start with the baby womp rats and then you get to the big womp rats. So we got to make up all that stuff. Um, and sand crabs, you know, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. I, but <laughs> we were just having fun and um, the sand crawler, that was Harrison's level, not mine, Harrison Fong. Mm. It was amazing, but man, it was hard and I think yeah, we, we tried to outdo each other with who could do the most challenging, you know, jumping platform sequence um so i had one in tatooine where the screen started scrolling so you had to keep uh -huh. up with the scrolling while jumping onto floating rocks which you know seemed like a natural <laughs> a normal thing mm -hmm. and um so you can blame Held me for that force. one but you mm -hmm. can blame harrison for say. the sand crawler which probably no inspired way. the mandalorian scene i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> have you ever considered the amount of like property damage you're responsible for <laughs> <laughs> oh, across, across just like destroyed controllers. Oh, man, <laughs> so oh, it, it's cool to know that you actively were trying to out challenge each other. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, yeah, it's not cool actually today. <laughs> when you, if you think about it, I mean, I know there's a there's a whole controversy about this. I'm firmly on the uh, on the side as a game designer who believes that uh, everyone should be able to play your game if you want everyone yeah. to, you know, ultimately you want as many people to enjoy mm -hmm. your game as possible. And if anybody mm -hmm. can't play your game because of uh, obstacles, you know, you haven't removed for accessibility or because it's just mm -hmm. too freaking hard, you're just doing yourself a disservice, not only in your, and you're leaving people out who really want to be part of your um, experience. Okay, and in those days, yeah. yeah. In those days, I think we were mainly inspired by, 
that doesn't mean you have to make the game super easy for everybody, right? Yeah. Make it scalable, give people options. Um, mm -hmm. Make yeah. it as challenging and as, and as, and as you know, um, you know, brick-throwing <laughs> inspiring <laughs> as, you, as you need it to be for the people who want it. But you should also make it uh, playable for as many people who want that as well. Um, yeah. We didn't have that... Uh, frame of mind back then it was you know we all grew up playing games in the arcades we pumped our quarters into you know discs of tron and you know ah oh! you know or <laughs> went left instead of right in dragon's lair and you know another quarter another quarter and it was it was punishing mm -hmm. and we thought that was part of what made games fun and maybe you know maybe it was because <laughs> when I mean, you finally get to the end in dragon's lair and rescue what was her name daphne princess daphne princess daphne yeah. i think so uh <laughs> <laughs> that's a like you're not only thinking wow that took me weeks but it took like my allowance for the past you know <laughs> six, six months, months allowance yeah. to get to that. <laughs> i have achieved something amazing um there was probably some of that but anyway yeah, i think uh, we we tried a lot of games even into the 90s and early 2000s still kind of followed that that arcade philosophy that you know uh, you know if you fail constantly um you know, it's part of the the challenge, and I, yeah, it makes the success even better. Yeah, well, you still see it now, don't you? You still see it now going into like Dark, Dark Souls, Souls and Bloodborne and any of the From Software games, which are again notoriously hard. But there's something about that weird crack that it got its reward in when you finally beat Dark Eater Madeira yeah. after six months, and you have to do it naked because otherwise you're not fast enough to roll. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one hit kill if you you know. But there is something about it that. Literally, it's the only game I've ever stood up and gone, fuck yes, at the screen because I finally beat a boss. Yeah, there yeah. is something about it, but I get what you're saying. I completely understand about the accessibility thing. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree with that. Well, it's not just that. that. I mean, there's there's just, you know, it's it's not just accessibility. It's really about making your game, you know, if you want your game to be approachable, you know, and and, and, and popular and successful, ultimately everyone in the world should be able to play it, you know? And that's yeah. kind of a tall bar. It may, that may never be possible, but start mm -hmm. ticking away at the things that are, that are preventing people from being able to enjoy your game and you'll just have more success. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. definitely. Uh, we should move on to the next game as we're half an hour in yeah. and we've done the ah. first one. <laughs> oh, well, those were three, those were three games. Uh, at the same time, I was working on Super Nintendo Star Wars games. I was also working on yeah. X-Wing and TIE Fighter, which were a couple of career highlights for mm -hmm. me. Um, those were games by Larry Holland, who had done the Battle That's of right, Britain yeah. and Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe. So working on a flight sim um, was just absolutely fantastic. And I bet it was. Yeah. And going from 2D to 3D, because like this was, is this your first 3D game? Is that right? Yeah, that would be yeah, the first game uh, I ever worked on in 3D. And um, and the limitations were severe, but uh, oh, okay. it was still, it was almost like abstract, abstract 3D, you know, just. The, yeah, yeah. They weren't even polygons. Yeah. They were actually two, 2D lines that were stretched to look like, it's hard to describe, but um Wizard, Whoa, wizard what, programming 2D team. lines stretched yeah. to 3D. <laughs> well, it, it, it was all in a 3D space, but we didn't actually model anything like you would model a 3D model today. Um, okay. It was all vector-based uh, line drawings that were assembled. Right, okay. Yeah, you know, it's hard to describe. Um, yeah, I get, yeah, I get what you mean, don't worry. But, and uh, and I, I did uh, a lot of the cinematics and all the special effects and all of the cockpits which were hand-drawn 
for every single yeah. spaceship in the game. And um, so it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun too because, uh, and I played the hell out of that as well because I was really into it. So I bet, um, yeah. That must have been yeah. so That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how elating it must have been to have that Star Wars title like blare onto the screen with, you know, with the fanfare music and think, I've helped make this. Yeah, I've helped I mean, make I, it look like maybe this. the first few times, but I did that like twenty five times, I think. Well, yeah, I when you get I, to twenty five times, yeah. like twenty five Star Wars games, so that that kind of lost its mojo. But um, <laughs> I tell you, the the day we had the the first Tie Fighters flying at the screen and firing those you know green bolts, mm-hmm. laser bolts at the camera, um, it was mind blowing. Just like I oh bet. my god, because it puts you you know you get to. It's the first time you get to live out something in the 3D space that you experienced at the theater, you know, when you were yeah. a kid, and it blew your mind then. So, yeah. When you see the movies now, do you get like a flashback to being at work where you're just like <laughs> when you see when you see a school bus like as a reaction, you're just like, oh, school, <laughs> no. But now it's like you see the title crawl and you're like, oh, work, <laughs> oh. just like stressed out. I think I did for a while, and then I. I, I kind of lost interest in Star Wars for a long time. I mean, I was a, I was a I was a fan, right? I was a yeah. I was a fan, and part of not being a fan anymore was uh, was due to the way I left Lucas, which was not you know of my own volition. I was part of a big layoff, and after 14 years there, I'm kind of yeah. skipping ahead, but 14 years there, you know, and and just being sent packing. I get it. That's business. It's not personal, but it felt mm-hmm. incredibly yeah. personal. And so Star Wars at that point, I just didn't give it damn. <laughs> and uh, my nephews enough, yeah. or my kids would be like, Hey dad, you see that new Star Wars cartoon on TV? Yeah, no, I didn't see it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I was like grumpy, grumpy Luke in the, in the, in the latest trilogy. Blue milk everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take your lightsaber and shove it out. <laughs> that was that was me for a long time, and I think I think uh, Rogue One and um, Han Solo movies changed that for me. They brought out my fanboy, and The Mandalorian has uh, completely cured me of my. Oh, my, such yeah. a good show! Yeah, it's a beautiful, yeah all it took was just show. three great, you know, original takes on the world that I loved, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid. Yeah, to bring me yeah. back. Yeah. It's a great show. Uh, I want to move on to Rebel Assault in 1993 i think it was yeah i didn't do because a lot that, on that yeah yeah because with you being an artist presumably in the game it's funny that they went with a live action mixed route in this well, they have like live action cutscenes. yeah right? at the time oh so uh, you're talking about rebel assault 2 or rebel assault 1 it was kind of rebel assault 1 uh was still it was very much a video uh streaming video uh mm-hmm. background right the the gameplay was streaming video that was yeah. That was all pretty revolutionary. I think we were doing something on the Philips CD-ROM, if you remember what that was. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, and one of the guys we worked with, Vince Lee, had written this amazing video compression tool. And, it, and uh, this was at the time when computers um, didn't really even play video. They, they just couldn't handle it. Oh, wow. So it really took this video compression technology he called Smush, um, <laughs> would, would very... Um, it was, you know, it, it was a compression. I mean, now there's amazing video compression all the time. That's how you get to yeah. enjoy Netflix, no matter what your internet's doing. But back then, it had to. I can't remember the details, but it it, it was pretty crude. Yeah. And his tool was amazing. So you know, for the first time, people saw like a video streaming uh, on a computer. 
that was pretty mind blowing and and pretty sharp to see that as a as a as a way to get computer stores to to showcase your product, which is exactly what they did. Stores like Egghead, mm-hmm. whatever else was around at the time, they loved Rebel Assault because it sold computers. Like I can't believe oh, a computer okay. can do that. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that was I've far more impressive that than as well. something right. that just drew little vector lines and flat shaded polygons, right? So right, um, cool. It was pretty cutting edge, but you know, in terms of gameplay, yeah, I mean, you can you can say gameplay became a lot harder to get uh, really great reactive movement and yeah. things like that when you have sprites over a video background. Um, yeah, yeah, I bet it's a lot more difficult that way. Yeah, There's, uh, there was something really funny in the intro actually that um, I noticed. And I don't know if you re- even remember this. There's a part where there's like a, I think it starts with a mouse droid running through, is it Darth Vader's Star Destroyer or it's the Death Star? I can't remember which oh, one it is. Oh yeah, that was, you know, there was this, I don't know why anybody let us do those things, but you know, every game <laughs> we had our own twist on the LucasArts logo and we'd like yeah. to have fun with it and it became a, a gag and it's actually, it's the, you it's know. The guy at the door, right? The guy is waiting to speak to Darth Vader. Something. And when the, bef- yeah, I, he like before the door opens, he sniffs his armpit to make sure that he doesn't smell bad, which then gives me credence that Darth Vader's mask lets a lot of smell through because he doesn't like smelly admirals or something. Like, <laughs> it, I saw it. I was like, that was so weird, but really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did some stupid. context. We did yeah. some stupid. Th- I don't think I had anything to do with that one, but we did some stupid things back then. Um, we all thought it was cute and fun, but really is all that was all inside joke stuff. And yeah. at the end of the day, I'm not sure why we did that. It didn't make the game better right so well just gives it kind of like heart it does yeah it shows the team that's working on it because you've got this small team of communities that are making things that make each other laugh like the challenge with the levels it sort of it gives a bit of story behind it which is kind of nice i think yeah Yeah. one of my favorite ones we did was for star wars bounty hunter where uh i guess Django, you know ties up the little gold guy with his with his uh his wrist weapon and you know takes his place you know on the l but uh yeah those were fun i guess some of them were pretty yeah. stupid <laughs> but uh, x-wing and tie fighter uh rebel assault was it was also rebel assault was a time where i really dove into 3d so i learned a lot of 3d from the 3d wizards that uh i worked with i modeled some of the spaceships and did a lot of uh and that really helped prepare me for shadows of the empire which was the next game i worked on which was our first true all 3d console game yeah, that yeah, was a pretty um, groundbreaking game. That was great. That was, yeah. It was an amazing game. Yeah, it well, was. So the jump from 3D then, so was that something where, with it being almost completely new, did you guys have to figure that out yourselves? Or was it just kind of like a an almost community-driven, right, we're going for this standard of how to do things? Um, well, like any... Obviously, it was becoming the the way forward right we knew we weren't going to be yeah. doing side scrollers anymore um <clears throat> and doom had come out right uh so i think it came out in 94 i think and so yeah, it was it was it was really like this is the future right we're all going to be doing some form of third person or first person game um and then the adventure games were actually starting to to be de-emphasized which was really sad um you know, where like nobody's going to play these anymore. All they're playing are flight sims and shooters. Um, and and so you started to see that that sad story that happened at Lucas, where instead of having 
a, a wonderful blend of original adventure games like Grim Fandango and Full Throttle. I mean, that still happened for a few years, but the, and Sam and Max, all the while doing great Star Wars games or what we hoped would be great Star Wars games. You ended up just seeing Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. I mean, it just became a, a Star Wars spam machine uh, during the prequel days, which was kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because there was a game jumped, that you I, did... Well, I was just, you know, it, so it was all 3D and all Star Wars. So yeah. a lot of people at that point wanted to leave and start their own companies. So that actually, the late 90s was a was a time where people were doing that. Yeah, there was a lot of it was a big game boom in the early nineties because yeah. when you when you said about Doom, then you did a game called is it Star Wars Dark Forces, which um, felt I helped kind on of that. Doom that was uh, that was a game led by Justin Chin. Um, that was that was pretty revolutionary too. But that was yeah, yeah. that was kind of like Star Wars take on Doom. I yeah, guess. yeah, it felt yeah, a lot but... more adult as a game. It definitely felt like it was a conscious choice to be more of an adult with a shooter genre. It definitely felt that way anyway. Yeah, it was yeah. not meant to be silly. Um, mm -hmm. And it was meant to kind of be... Um, and I think both both that and, and Shadows, we wanted to set them in sort of the, the seedy side of Star Wars, I guess, and yeah. explore those dark corners. And and that was really fun. And I think, actually, the Lucas was concerned about that, the violence, um, which, you know, right, okay. I, I get it. And that was a time when he had, he had young children and... We were proud to show him this, you know, all these games we were working on, and he'd, he'd watch a few moments of just this blaster <laughs> running around <laughs> as a camera, and just doo -doo 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 -doo, all these guys going ah, 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 and he's like, "Well, oh, that's kind of violent." Um, <laughs> that was a good impression, by the way. Like, check, check how awesome this is, and yeah. he's like, "What is this?" <laughs> it's like, have you not seen Doom, George? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but that was that was something that, yeah, Dark Forces was a was a fantastic game and it led to the great jedi knight um i only helped out on those a little bit i was mm -hmm. mainly the i was still the console guy so i i was working on shadows of the empire um followed then by the super nintendo um, or sorry the uh n64 pod racer game yeah that's right yeah and uh, I mean <laughs> So I'd like to with star wars shadows of the empire oh, shadow of the empire yeah, yeah. shadows so Shadows, oh, yeah. shadows. Yeah, Sorry. Grammatically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, I know, but you're in the shadow. <laughs> there's multiple of the Empire, shadows. But there are shadows. Yeah, there's multiple, yeah. lots of shadows. So that is hands down one of the best N64 games I ever played. Yeah. Like, straight up. However, that being said, I want to know how responsible, like on a scale of one to 10, you are for how scary the Wampas were to me as a child. <laughs> how responsible are you for that? Yeah, that's very much me. Um, part, of, part of that was... 100%. You know, yeah, they, uh, they took you. all that... Yeah, you're in that tiny hallway, and you got this huge yeah. thing taking a swamp at you, and he had this big, uh, scary face, and, you know, it was a... It was horrible. Know, they, yeah. <laughs> They're it, so it scary. Been. It should have yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah. They had so much health it. as well. Like, too much health. And as I'm looking at the screenshot, I'm just reminded, like, modeling this guy i mean he's he must be made of like uh, less than 100 polygons yeah you know <laughs> it's like a box mo the, box monster the flat it's, texture it's the face the, the flat textures, texture yeah. like horrific face oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah and that texture is probably 32 pixels by 64 pixels that was a horrible limitation <laughs> we had at the time actually yeah. it was it was really disappointing it was an amazing machine but it had terrible texture limitations the n64 so, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it was it was the same in like Goldeneye. They had the weird like box heads with the 
texture that went all the way around, wasn't it? And you could glitch it on one level and it gave my face on every side because it reloaded the <laughs> texture. And yeah, you could do all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, well, when you think about it, Mario is the, you know, Mario at the time was this was the game that whole machine was designed around. So that aesthetic, yeah. that look was actually all the machine needed to do. Um, you know, it was heavy right. on polygonal drawing power, very mm -hmm. light on texture because Mario didn't have realish realistic looking textures it was all very no, no, it's colors, isn't it? bold bright flat colors mm -hmm. and so those of us who were trying to make a game that looked like you know doom right with yeah you know uh, walls that actually look like walls you'd walk around in you know, we were in for a rude awakening we had to we had yeah. to stretch little materials across vast polygons and <laughs> created kind of its own weird aesthetic um so it's it just a lesson yeah. in you know game design like design for the platform you're you're building for don't yeah. try to copy <laughs> what you can do on a pc yeah. on, on a console that can't manage it right yeah yeah well thank you for the nightmares though yeah that's thanks. that <laughs> my childhood nightmares thank you so much i'm glad i met the person who is responsible yeah, for that yeah. <laughs> get some closure uh, I mean, that that game that was the first star wars game that i actually owned um my dad was an aggregator of games and he'd always bring games home because he thought I might, I might like them. And we had the original VHS of the, the original trilogy of Star Wars and I'd started watching them and, you know, got really familiar with them. And he ended up bringing that one home for us both to play. And we both absolutely loved it. So thank you for directing that game. You gave me some really, really good memories. And I just wanted to say thank you. Because me and my oh, dad cool. both well, really enjoyed it. I mean, that. you know, I look back on it now and I just see fault after fault and, you know, not the least of which was designing too many games in one. Um, I yeah. would never do that again, but, you know, at the time <laughs> it seemed like the right thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the the things that we did really well became uh, other great series like Rogue Squadron. I mean, when yeah. Yeah. the Factor 5 team came over from Germany, we gave them the opening, you know, we gave them the code and said, why don't you guys just do more of that? Um, mm -hmm. yeah, of the opening level with the snow speeders, that, right? Oh, that and, was and so, so ended up good. doing a whole game series based on that tech and just kept blowing it yeah. up and doing their amazing work. Um, so I mean, me, and, cool. me and Jordan were talking just before we started, started the show that that might be either the or one of the most cinematic games for the N64. Like seeing that at the time with all the music that was from the game, actually flying the speeders, tripping up all the walkers, uh, even what was it? The asteroid level with the uh, the asteroid yeah. chase music over the back as well. They yeah, the stick music in my a big mind. Part. <laughs> they were great. And it's, was there a, a level with an IG eighty eight unit that yeah. came yeah, after you a like gosh. a Terminator, and it was horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, was like it was scary. It was genuinely scary. He jumped up onto it's the a platform. Difficult game too. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, it's like the camera angles, and it was like, uh, right, I have no idea where this thing is now. It's like I'm gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> It's such yeah. a such an amazing like. I remember the first time I played it, I was like, I got to the train level. I was like, oh my god, yeah. this is amazing. Well, that's how it all began. Actually, it wasn't going to be it's a just... Star Wars game. It was going to be a Western. And um, oh wow, uh, I had yeah, I had already. By the time we started on that, I'd already worked on a lot of Star Wars games and just wanted to try something else. Um, and so started tinkering with the idea of doing a Western shooter. Um, but again, you know, it would. It didn't really fit the the platform. Uh, although the first thing we had was a was a train moving through a canyon because you've got to do western, you got to have a train. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but pretty pretty quickly it became, you know, we should make a Star Wars game out of this. But the train stays. You know? Yeah, she's got to be in there. <laughs> Space train. 
Yeah. <laughs> there are no train. compromises. It yeah. has to be a train. Yeah. So are you responsible for Dash then? Uh, well, Dash was, uh, was a necessary creation uh, for the game and I guess for the book. I mean, there was, there was uh, a novel, there was comic books, there were toys, there was even a soundtrack. So this is all a big mm-hmm. multimedia thing. Um, the, oh. the name Dash Rendar, I, I didn't come up with that. The novelist did. But um, this idea that it's a, a guy who kind of is in Han Solo's ilk, right? He's a Karelian smuggler yeah. dude. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, the comic book artist, uh, Killian Plunkett, at, uh, at the time from Dark Horse, had come up with an idea of Dash being this really scary-looking, sketchy, you know, bounty hunter you don't want to, or a, a smuggler you don't want to mess with, like Han Solo's, you know, mean uncle or something like that Um, and I thought that was great Uh, licensing thought it should be younger and more Jean-Claude Van Damme-ish or you know uh, Tom Cruise-like and so he ended up becoming this amalgamation of a bunch of people's ideas of a of what an action hero could look like but the shoulder Mm. pads were actually necessary to hide the fact that we didn't have smooth limb blending technology Uh, so we had to have something to cover (laughs) The fact that his shoulder joints would be visible the whole time, so right. um, that was practical. Yeah, uh-huh. I love that. Just like, yeah, why does he have shoulder pads? Well, it's well. like it's very much similar to the Silent Hill fog. Yeah, like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never thought I'd compare Silent Hill fog to shoulder, shoulder pads, pads yeah. but that's fine. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine you being like, "Hey, uh, hey, Tim, are, are shoulder pads in this year?" And he's like, "Yes," and he's like, "Thank God for that." <laughs> Just stick them on. <laughs> no but the yeah the concept uh or the time frame and all that stuff i i came up with the title and the time frame and it was originally supposed to be a game about boba fett's um bad week trying to deliver han solo to jabba the hut which i imagine didn't go very smoothly all the other bounty hunters would want to interfere with them the comic did a lot more of that story but uh, at the time we were we were part of the deal with Nintendo is we had to have an exclusive Nintendo exclusive character for some period of time, oh, right. okay. uh, which meant it couldn't be Luke. It couldn't be Han Solo. couldn't be, you know, and I'm like, well, let's just pick, if it can't be Han Solo, let's just pick the time where Han Solo is out of the picture mm-hmm. and come up with a new guy, right? Who can fill his shoes sort of, sort yeah. of. That's great. Let's go for San Holo. <laughs> San Holo. Yes. It's just, it's just, like Han Solo with a fake mustache. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how Dash Rendar came to be. We were not allowed to use one of the main characters. Simple as that. Right, right. You could come up with the original. That's amazing. What, what was the, the massive gap between the SNES and the N64 then? Because you did a lot on PC. Was it just because you'd felt like you'd done enough on the, N- the, on the SNES, sorry? I'm waiting for the new generation. Uh, I think we, yeah, by the time we did uh, Super Return of the Jedi, we did an Indiana Jones game as well called uh, Indiana Jones Greatest Adventures for the SNES, which oh. played a lot like a Super Star Wars game, except it was indie. Um, right, okay. And uh, in Factor 5, the guys who, who would go on to do Rogue Squadron, they actually did the programming in a much a similar fashion that we did with uh, sculptured software on the SNES Star Wars games, where we okay. do some of the art and animation, and they'd code it up. Um, and at, that was being done around the same time as TIE Fighter, and then Shadows was immediately after that. Um, and yeah, and then it was just from then on, you know, it was all 3D, right? And PC, uh, I think at that point, you know, I was, PC games were, they were, if you weren't doing a first-person shooter, there was no reason to be making a game on the PC in the late 90s. That, <laughs> that'd be kind of, <laughs> you know, Flight Sims used to be the biggest segment in PC gaming. And then they immediately went to nothing. So 
you know, the X-Wing series tried to ride that wave as long as it could, and then by the time X-Wing Alliance came out, it was pretty clear that that, that whole genre had played out. And right, the adventure okay. games, nobody was buying adventure games anymore. So it just, the whole world went first-person shooter. Um, well, and I think I saw something. It was like Dark Forces had an estimated like 950,000 copies sold or something. Wow. That was hugely successful, yeah. That such an amazing like number, especially for the time. Yeah. Right? It was like um, nearly a million copies. That's insane. Even by today's standards, that's pretty good. No, those yeah. were almost console numbers. Yeah, it wasn't unusual to see those kinds of numbers on an N64. Or in fact, we we were usually in the mm -hmm. multi millions with the N64 games. But but right. for a PC game, that was absolutely phenomenal. Like a hundred thousand units yeah. was a was a home run. Um, Did, so yeah. Can I just ask? Did you make any games for the Atari ST? No. Yeah. I didn't Damn, I've, I've just found Indiana Jones. <laughs> Although that painting, that pa that cover painting was was mine. So I did. Oh I really? Did that. Holy shit! Yeah, it's like I've him, just it's like him it in desk. front of a submarine, right? Yeah, yeah. Under, yeah, yeah. the U twelve. That was a UK. That, I think that was a Europe only release. Yeah, it was. I've just remembered because when we were talking about it then. I found all of my dad's old Atari games, and this is one of the boxes, ah. and it says on it, exclusive limited edition of Indiana Jones, The Fate of Atlantis included. That's um, cool. And it's just literally the disc in the box for the old Atari. Oh, And I was funny. getting it all working. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, another well, one of my side jobs at the time was doing box covers for various games. I did the cover for Shadows of the Empire. Um, uh, I did the cover for uh, Dark Forces and TIE Fighter along with a colleague, Ron Lucier, um, and a couple more, like that indie, the indie one yeah. that you have there. What was the name of that indie game? That wasn't Fate of Atlantis. It was, I can't remember. It was like Indie Action uh, oh. or something. Well, no, it or, says Fate of Atlantis on the box. Uh, it says Fate, Fate of Atlantis on there. Oh, the action well, game, yeah. Oh, the action game. Yeah, not Fate of... Yeah, yeah they, that, was, that sounds like sneakery. That's that sounds. Okay, like I'll trigger. try and zoom the that camera in not, one sec. Yeah, I've got a Fate of Atlantis was an adventure game. That was an action game right there. Yeah, so, look, it says, yeah. It says the the fate of Atlantis at the top there, but then at the yeah. bottom it says the action game. <laughs> the, someone's been had over Harrison. Yeah, someone's using oh, yeah, your work just, twice here. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I haven't seen that cover in a long time. Oh. Done with an airbrush, not Photoshop. That's funny. Really? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I am so like blown away right now that you did this. Like that's just you literally blown just my picked mind. it up. These, these <laughs> yeah, have been that's... like in a in Obviously, a box in the garage for about I don't even know twenty five years. Yeah, there was a much better cover art for the actual Fate of Atlantis game by another artist we I worked with named Bill Eakin who did just amazing amazing cover cover art like that as well but if you right. had the real game that's not the real game that's no no this is a limited game. edition copy i'll have you know this is special okay. <laughs> that's cool oh man yeah. just obviously you don't need to be told this that your artwork is incredible yeah but it's just like it feels really weird to see like oh i've seen this thing i've just talked to the guy that made this thing yeah. holy shit <laughs> it's like, yeah fuck. well it's fun it's amazing <laughs> i haven't done art since then probably um Somehow really? I got on the game design train around that time. So 2002, I think I snuck a few models into Bounty Hunter. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, since then I really haven't done, done any art, so it's kind of fun to see that stuff pop up. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about That's Bounty awesome. Hunter, actually, because that was 
in so that, that like you said, that was 2002, and you directed this one entirely, right? Yeah. So you were the the main designer on this one, uh, yeah. And it's based all around Django Fett, and this was one of the first what I would call like adult feeling games that I had, especially on yeah. the GameCube, because the the ga- was- other games on there didn't really feel like that one, to be honest. Yeah, it was not a cutesy cutesy fun star wars game it was a you know kind of a hard t rating i guess you could say it was yeah. um dark stories you know it had it kind of had to be because Django fett was a movie villain and uh yeah. you know we wanted him to be the hero of our story which means we got to come up with some really scary looking you know, folks yeah. to, be <laughs> to make him look good enemies. <laughs> so the montrose had to be super mean and and yeah this this uh this deranged Jedi that you're going after had to be super scary too. And so, um, it was kind of this, this dark underworld of star Wars. So kind of, kind of more like the world I, I wanted us to have in shadows, of the empire, but, um, yeah, cause it does have this seedy it's, underbelly, doesn't it? Star Wars. It's got like this dark layer underneath all like the basically fantasy stories layered on top of it, that it always kind oh, of yeah, skirted around drug dealers and yeah. And, yeah. Spice runners <laughs> yeah. and all that. And, yeah. yeah, which I'm glad now in like The Mandalorian, we're getting to see more of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I wanted to ask about because with this, with Bounty Hunter, um, I've heard rumors that they might be making a new Bounty Hunter style game. Do uh, you know anything about that or anything? No. Are you I, allowed it, to it say? Makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that we wanted to do a proper sequel uh, that was... Mm-hmm a little less um, globetrotty all over the place and just focus on one or two areas that we could we could really right. do deeply like Coruscant you know or yeah yeah that's something cool. like that um and then I know that you know after I left Lucas there was a, that team working on that uh 113 or 1337 or whatever oh, yeah that whatever got cancelled yeah the the cancelled bounty hunter project or something mm-hmm. like that and so I know yeah. it's it's a world we all want to play in and kick around mm-hmm. in and it wouldn't surprise me if somebody out there is is working on one now yeah um, and actually it was a world that George himself was in the handful of one-on-one conversations I had with him over the years it was a world that he just thought was just just full of uh, possibilities for for primetime adult television um, bet, you know, yeah. we were we were having this kind of conversation. So the Mandalorian didn't come out of thin air. I mean, I you know, mm-hmm. I, it's something that he had been thinking about for a while, <laughs> almost twenty years ago now. Well, yeah, well, we know how he plans things, doesn't he? He plans something like start at number four and then go back twenty years and then do it that way. So it's not surprised he had all that sort of stuff on the plate. What I got? What's he like? I've got to ask. What's he like as a person to deal with? Well, I, although I did work for him for fourteen years, I I I had I don't really like I said I've only really directly interacted with them you know maybe I can count on two hands the number of times it was a meaningful right. interaction um he was a busy man making movies and we were making mm-hmm. games and for most of that time he'd show up once in a while to our company meetings which in the early days we had like 25 people you know and he would show up and he would talk about his plans and what he hoped that you know he'd be able to do with movies and um, that's when he told us he was going to be working on prequels to Star Wars as well. And that was right. mind-blowing. Um, <laughs> and the only reason he was doing that was to make money to work on these small movies he kept saying he'd make, he wanted to make. Um, oh, okay. But I think he kept getting trapped <laughs> in, making, <laughs> in making these big movies. Um, and then there were other times when, when our paths crossed, especially during the prequels, when we'd have to visit um, the ranch after we moved off of it and, and go back and, and look at concept concepts and 
and just see if there's a game to be made there. That's how Pod Racer came about. That's like uh, right, okay. We were, we were being shown early concepts, and that scene is just like okay. Um, there's there's definitely uh, an action game we can, we can make here, along yeah. those lines. And, that's a um, great scene. That's a brilliant scene. That whole Pod Racer scene. Everyone loved that. Oh, it was great. Yeah, that was one of my girlfriend's favorite games growing up. She says she remembers her and her brother. It, she said it must have been on like the Tatooine level, driving towards like a really slim cliff, and they were yeah. both like, like wondering whether they were going to make it through. And yeah, she said yeah. she had great times playing. I unfortunately I've never played it, and it's one of the games that I still want to get hold of because I've still got my N sixty four and everything, so I'd love to play it if it's on there. Um, no, that was great, and it was it was cool that it was the same core team. Um, mm. It's a pretty small team that worked on Shadows of the Empire. The same core team went to work on that. So we were able to carry forward what we learned. And the first oh, thing cool. we learned was just do one thing and do it really well. Yeah. yeah. Don't try to make too many games. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we, we managed to have a lot of fun uh, just making a game about eye-peeling speed. That's yeah. all it was out <laughs> As fast as you can make it go. <clears throat> People still yeah. talk about really that fun. game. Like in the gaming communities and all the podcasts that we in interact with, people still talk about that game all the time and they want a remake of it. They, they want another version or another like out on modern consoles. So make it happen, John. Make it. <laughs> yeah. People yeah, would eat that make... up, honestly. Yeah, the the kind of graphics you can pull off these days, it's pretty it's yeah. pretty amazing. And and knowing what I know now about racing games, it'd probably be great exactly. to go back and actually think about how to make a decent racing game out of it. Um at the time it wasn't really about you versus other racers. It was mm -hmm. it was uh, you know, um you versus the environment, so to speak. Yeah. So yeah. um that was that was pretty that was pretty fun. Um I think the <clears throat> and then I also had some fun interactions with George on the set of um Return of the Jedi, or sorry, Revenge of the Sith. Not that old. Yeah. Uh, Revenge <laughs> of the Sith in Sydney, in Sydney, Australia. Uh, my art director, Ian Millam, and I were down there. Ian, by the way, is working on The Mandalorian. Just mind-blowing. Oh, wow. Um, Jesus. Wow. But he and I were there to soak up as much as we could about the movie and try to mm -hmm. figure out how we're going to make a, a game around that. And um, had some really fun fun interactions not only with george but also with the stunt coordinator nick gillard and uh, hayden christensen who i invited back to california to teach our animators how a jedi really does use a lightsaber because at that point we just made shit up yeah oh, right. you know and <laughs> so to hear from the guy who invented lightsaber combat and and perfected it yeah. um, and have him show us how people should hold their saber how they should strike how they should block all those things were a lot of fun uh wow interacting with the movie making team and the game team sort of cross paths that's really nice that you actually got to go down there and see all that going on because like the production behind especially revenge of the sith that was an insane production yeah and we were there for the final battle between anakin and and obi-wan so that, that was, was the amazing. best bit i mean it well. was actually over that one or two week period that we were there it was every day it was uh, it was ewan mcgregor and hayden christensen like going after each other with these, you know, uh, lightsaber props, which um, those could hurt when they hit. And they, yeah. they were they were practicing, they were doing scenes where they had to memorize 1,300 moves um, in one, wow. Oh, you know, wow. in one section. And so it's like dance moves, you know, they have to mm -hmm. know exactly where to be. And then they're performing on top of that. So they're getting all the anger and all that stuff, and they still manage to do it with only once or twice scraping a knuckle. And the whole yeah. thing would stop and... You know, you and McGregor would say, "Oh my, you know, are you all right?" And you know, <laughs> let's take a, let's take a break. I mean, they felt so bad if if one of them got nicked. Yeah, um, I bet. so 
they took another good impression by the way (laughs) what's that another good impression by the way well done oh sorry (laughs) i should never do that i should never do that no it's good they're actually awesome yeah you just gotta perfect the uh hello there and then i was gonna say when you walked in Every time you saw me, was he like, hello there? Hello there. <laughs> no, no, that, that man was oh. very focused. Uh, yeah. Um, and very, like, very professional, actually. It was uh, that, really cool I to mean, see. God, that, that last scene when they're actually fighting, that's not sped up, is it? That's like, they were fighting No, that no, they were speed. fighting that speed. It's and they were, they were, they were, the only time they brought in stunt uh, actors, who were also amazing, was mm-hmm. when they had pyrotechnics or other things going on. Yeah. that um would otherwise be dangerous um and they had to know the same moves as well but um yeah i'd say 95 percent of what you saw is mm-hmm. played at speed with the two actors um doing so impressive well. another thing that people don't seem to well some people pay attention to that kind of stuff but some people don't that their costumes get gradually more and more burnt as the scene progresses like yeah. the holes get bigger where the ash has gone on them and they get more and more dirt. Well, I just a, think they're, on, they're fighting over lava. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't. Like, <laughs> there's probably a continuity person going, you know, oh, we need to put a burn mark right there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of nightmare. Going, to try and step keep away from on. the lava. I'm getting sick of making these changes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and it, it was cool, though, because, you know, uh, I got I was sitting next to John Knoll from ILM, mm-hmm. who uh, we were often confused, you know, by name. Um, he's. He's a, he's a wizard uh, effects supervisor at ILM who was behind the Star Trek series and all the Star Wars prequels and everything. But he, he and a couple guys from his team are there prevising what the scene is really going to look like long right. before it happens. And, and now with Mandalorian, I just, you know, that, that's a whole world of real time scene direction. Oh, with the Unreal Engine all the way around. Yeah. yeah. Like, have you seen it's that Jordan? so weird these movies and these games they can't escape each other no no it's <laughs> yeah. like it's combining together isn't it i mean well the, with the physics-based rendering like the the quality that the unreal engine just like the materials and the lighting you can get out of that engine is beautiful have you yeah. uh, did you see that jordan did you watch that footage uh which i'm sorry oh, sorry with, about the mandalorian how they make it at the moment no i didn't know so, instead of green screen they've got curved led screens all the way around the set that projects 3d environments from the unreal engine so the lighting is real in the scene so all the stuff you see behind them isn't cgi and that's why it looked well it is cgi but it's it's like map projected almost like they used to in like 2001 a space odyssey and that's why it looks so good yeah oh, jordan's face right Jesus. now is like a picture <laughs> yeah, all you podcast no, listeners I, I, can't see it uh, really? Highly, uh, highly recommend you watch those those making up videos that yeah yeah really definitely just show this this crazy relationship that games and, and film have had for for so long and yeah they're coming to this inflection point you know where you can't tell the two apart no, you know, no. anymore. Oh, that's that's incredible. But so speaking good. of of games, uh, you also were part of the Destroy All Humans Path of the Fuhrer. Oh, right? yeah. why'd you have to bring that one up? <laughs> because I absolutely love Destroy All Humans. It was a so great much. game. Oh, yeah, we destroyed, it was so, so good. we destroyed that franchise with that game. Sorry. I, I, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just love like Crypto <laughs> as a character, and I love yeah. like, the Invader Zim voice actor. Yeah, yeah. So, you had Richard so Horvitz good. doing the voice. That just made it for me as well. 
Oh yeah, no, the voice acting is 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 great, and, uh, and of course it's funny. We all thought he was he was doing like this impression of Jack Nicholson. He's like, I wasn't doing Jack Nicholson. I was doing Paul Lind from the Hollywood Squares. You know, he's the that game <laughs> show, that TV game show from the '70s. He was always the guy in the center square who talk like yeah. this all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's what he was doing. <laughs> I mean, it's similar I, to so, Jack Nicholson, to be fair. <laughs> kind of, Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you intentionally keep working on like almost exclusively sci-fi projects or were you just like drawn to them like some kind of alien moth to an alien lamp? Was that just like No, what yeah, it, they just kind of found me, I think. I think at the time that was after I, I left Lucas, I was at a THQ studio up in Seattle working on that and we weren't we weren't allowed to involve any of the guys from Pandemic who had worked on it. Um, at the time, it was it was like, you know, they had done the first two games, um, and they yeah. were fantastic. And I wanted to hire the same writers and, and a lot of the same people, and they're like, oh, no, we can't tell them we're working on it because we're taking it over. You know, the THQ is taking it over. And yeah, they want yeah. too much, oh, whatever. They want too much money. Um, <laughs> they deserve it. Those guys were great. But, you know, I could see that what that was all about. So we had to do it in secret and then try to capture that, that same tone and, and flavor. Right. Um, and then we kind of debated what decade descended in, should it be the eighties, which probably would have been better to do the eighties. Cause more of us remember that the seventies is an obscure time frame that not too many people can get, but that's mm -hmm. where the Kung Fu movies and the, <clears throat> the, you know, the, the lampooning of, of close encounters and all that kind of stuff came from. And, yeah. but man, it's a, it's a movie that it's a game that, didn't turn out that great for a lot of reasons and and i look back on it now and i think man there's a, we were really insensitive and that's tough because crypto <laughs> is a racist and an asshole yeah. and he hates he all really humans, is yeah and he treats them all terribly but um you know Equ equality yeah yeah, yeah. He treats the, everyone terribly that's those, definitely those looking back just... on a game <laughs> yeah. of that era through a 2020 lens i would say yeah, um, it does yeah. not. It's there's so many things that we just you know that yeah doesn't 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 stand up well. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember and the worst part the is time. the ragdoll got cut. Like uh, <clears throat> we got shut down as a studio a uh, little more than halfway through making that, or um, and uh, I you know I got laid off and there was only like a handful of people left and they were just wanted to you know fix the bugs and ship it. And one of the things that they couldn't figure out was a bug with the ragdoll the ragdoll that we had that you know when you got to use your mental powers to pick up a human and then you could magnetize yeah. other humans to it and drag them all around it was so addicting it was so good <laughs> and it just pained me when i see the game came out and that was all stripped away and all they do is animate and and get stuck in the ground and i mean the whole uh that was like that's like taking away superman's cape you know yeah and then that the core mechanic game. Yeah. it was bad yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Anyway, that all, thanks for bringing that up. That's like I'm yeah, sorry. I've I'm on, sorry. I've worked on some great games. I've worked on some mediocre games, and at least one game that sucked. Um, well, everyone has a path. That was you know? You've got to work through it. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I remember enjoying it when I was like a teenager. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I just enjoyed going around as an alien electrocuting people. That probably says more about me than the game. To be fair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah, it's uh, and I guess the they tried to reboot it recently. I'm not sure how that turned out. I again, I just don't think it. I, I yeah, it was a remaster, it wasn't it? Well. But yeah, it isn't. It isn't to say we didn't have an amazingly talented team working on working their asses off to make that a, a great game. But you know, I, I made some choices, uh, design choices that probably didn't help. Um, 
right. that one too much. And probably wasn't wise at the time to use the Unreal Engine, which I think was Unreal 3, to do a fully destructible open world flying and third person shooting game. Again, it's just like the lessons of Shadows of the Empire were not were not uh, learned. Like, But <laughs> it just seemed like you had to do all of these things. At that time, that engine was just... The Unreal Engine could probably do whatever you wanted to now, but at the time, that was not a good idea. Yeah. Definite limitations with it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I hope we're not ending on that one. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Oh, yeah, don't worry. But you're supposed to learn. <laughs> you're supposed to learn something valuable from from all of those uh, experiences, and um, yeah, that yeah. one's hard to that one's hard to come away with a good lesson. Um, yeah, but oh, I uh, completely. Yeah, I, can I mean, I feel that. learned a lot of lessons from Shadows of the Empire. Um, <laughs> And uh, and bounty hunter too, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, that's you have to learn from failure. Um, you do, else, yeah. You know, um, it was actually the same. I I forgot to ask something about bounty hunter. Uh, the stream's back on, by the way. Welcome back, guys. Sorry, we had a disconnection there. Um, about bounty hunter, there's a cat. The <coughs> the main antagonist in that story is the the Sith lady, isn't it? With the the two lightsabers, right? Yeah, well, she's she's not technically Sith, but yeah, she's a she's a deranged Jedi that um, was abducted by a crazy cult of neurotoxin whiffin ah. freaks. <laughs> I guess you know, I it was kind of a she was kind of inspired by the the ghost story of of you know, Kaiser Soze uh, from oh. The Usual Suspects, like someone yeah. who's so scary, just saying their name, you know, makes people freak out and right, and, okay, and. Um, that's why her name is actually kind of similar, um, Komari Vosa. But yeah, she was, the whole reason for that was, um, there are two questions I wanted to, <clears throat> the story of Bounty Hunter to answer, which is um, how was Django chosen to be the template for this clone army? Mm-hmm. And why did he want a son? Uh, the first clone to be unmodified. Because it was the only, there's one line in the movie that I think the character's name was Tan Wee, the alien on Kamino who tells Obi-Wan, you know, uh, oh, yeah, we keep the template here. You know, mm. he, he wanted nothing besides his considerable pay other than the first clone from self unmodified. Curious, don't you think? And um, <laughs> that, was, that was the line. It's like, well, that is awfully curious. Uh, so yeah. so the, game, the game's job was to explore those two things in a fun action game kind of way. Yeah, well, that was um, nice that you picked out that singular line from a film that some people would think as as like an off remark and then run with that as a narrative like i think that's really cool yeah we didn't uh i I wasn't gonna work on another star wars game again um (laughs) in fact i was told you know i was told you know you should try to get a break from star wars because i had done 20 some odd star wars games at that point um and we were working on an original game that that has a lot of similarities to this awesome series we're all enjoying now called Stranger Things, but um, oh. the code name for that was Sawyer, but it was about a bunch of kids who save the world from aliens by traveling back through time and doing some fun shit like that. But we couldn't do that one, so I was asked, we need you to do another Star Wars game. And I said, <laughs> all right, um, I will do one, but it, I'm not going to do it to come out with the movie because that, that puts undue pressure on us, plus the, yep. the time had already passed. And I'm not going to do a game of the movie. Um, I need to be able to, you know, do whatever Free I want. Free reign. <laughs> and, yeah, well, that's good. Uh, and I, they said, okay. So, yeah, of all the things we could have done with episode two, that was the one that struck me as the most um, compelling, mm-hmm. is to take this this villain from the movie and make him, not, you know, your character so uh, in his own story. So, 
Yeah. I mean, that, I think That's that was so the awesome. first thing that I played where you had like almost a free roam in a city to do like little quests around, you know, like capturing the little bounties around the city. I don't think yeah, there's any. Yeah, if I could go back and do it again, that. I would have picked instead of six different locations that didn't have a lot of that, I would mm -hmm. go back and do a much bigger, better, deeper, more thought out city like that, Coruscant, yeah. and just make you spend a lot of time. That's a fantastic set. Um, yeah, but instead, we did all this globe trotting, which stressed out my team and made us, you know, anytime you do a lot of stuff, you can't do any of it as well as you can if you do less, right? Less yeah. is always more, but it's so hard because, you know, you, you want to, you're wrestling with trying to deliver on you know, the players or Star Wars fans' expectations of shooting from one part of the galaxy to the other, yeah. doing all this cool stuff. And honestly, just, you know. Not that we're saying Star Wars fans have big expectations or anything. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> We'd never say that. <laughs> Wouldn't say that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think if maybe we'd set it in two locations or three um, and just made those deeper and more fun mm -hmm. uh, locations we and spent more time fixing the camera, would have been a, a much better game. But yeah, the, that was a hint of the kinds of games I think you'd see. Uh, we definitely wanted to do a more open world yeah. bounty hunter set in a place like Coruscant after that. Right. I actually picked that game up again recently because I, I rooted my GameCube out and started playing through it last month, which is really good fun to play through it again. It was a really cool game. I did really enjoy it. We should get on to our listener questions as we Do are okay. <laughs> getting the tad along. Running over. So, yeah, only a little, it's okay. Don't worry. Um, I'd be sat so, here all day if I could. This would be amazing. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, so, I mean, I'm, I'm happy enjoying to this chat so for much. as long as you're here. <laughs> the first question... Uh, this comes from, well, from the middle pod. They sent in a few different questions. The first one they said was, uh, people often criticize George Lucas for his writing, but never for his world building. Do you have any stories that relate to his ability to world build? Um, <clears throat> let's see. Well, yeah, it's mainly, well, actually, uh, he he really does understand characters. Um, mm. And and that's the most important part of a world, right, is, is having a world that supports the characters. Um, uh, yeah, screenwriting, you know, you, can, you could say, you know, that's not his, uh, high, his, his, best, uh, his best skill, but honestly, um, the reason we all love Star Wars so much is because he created characters that we absolutely loved. Yeah. And he created a world for them that we absolutely loved. So <clears throat> I think when hardcore Star Wars fans start picking apart, you know, how good he or now J.J. Abrams, who's getting all the, you know, mm -hmm. the crap thrown at him, right? Or whoever, whatever director, you know, did the the, <laughs> the episode you didn't like. Um, you know, that's, that's just because George created something so amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so that, that touched all of us in a way that makes it ours. You know, how dare you do that with my thing? That's not what I wanted you to do with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think George, when George chose to to create Star Wars, and this is way before my time, I, mean, I was eight years old, but he he and the people around him, what he wanted to create a movie that, a, a world that felt uh, lived in, right? Yeah. A world that was used and rusty and dusty and banged up and all the sounds had to sound, you know, real. I mean, that was, mm -hmm. that was an amazing uh, decision because at the time in the 70s everything was like chrome zippers and uh, <laughs> chrome hair and diagonal zippers if you go back and look at logan's run from 1975 oh, yeah. or any yep. of the other sci-fi movies at the time and 
synthesized sounds and synthesized soundtracks and no he he wanted it to feel like when these people get in their starship and take off it's just like jumping in your car and driving yeah. to the next town yeah i mean it should feel that believable and the clothing is is functional you know and mm-hmm. I, you know yeah the the princess Leia's buns are probably the the one thing that that but it doesn't it's not a 70s thing like no, you can't no. look at that movie and say that looks look, that looks so 1970s so that's a world that will live forever um it's not dated um and maybe because it was it was a throwback yeah totally. that's an amazing answer yeah so i actually have uh some questions from resident Star Wars superfan Richard Cusworth, uh, who's a guy I used to work with. And yeah. he's given me a few questions for yourself because as soon right. as he heard that we were doing this, he was like, yes. Yes, uh, I need so it. <laughs> the, the first question is, who would win in a fight, Dash or Han? Oh, Han Solo. He would totally cheat. That's and, what I was uh, going to say. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, yeah, Dash, Dash would... Uh, would uh... Now, maybe if we did the Dash that... Uh, the com- the that we'd originally want to do with a really scary looking guy, um, he, it wouldn't it wouldn't pan out that way. But Han is too slippery. He's he's yeah. he's always he's always going to come out on top. He'd talk his way out, wouldn't he? Um, yeah. There we go. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the answer I expected or not, but that's yeah. that's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how does it feel to go from creating some of the best like Nintendo 64 games or like the Star Wars properties like games? And then it kind of like being how it is now with the release of like Star Wars Battlefront 2 and um, I'm trying to think, what was the other one? Jedi Fallen Jedi Order. Jedi Fallen Order is pretty good. I was playing that this morning, actually. Yeah. It is a good no, game. I heard that was really good. I, st- I still haven't played it yet. Um, uh, I probably should. Um, again, it it's has, just hard for I'll, me to... I'll warn you, it's definitely got levels of jank. <laughs> and I mean that in the <laughs> nicest way possible. But I got attacked by a T-posing Sith with a lightsaber no, just floating in the really? air. And it, just oh, slid no. towards me, and it was horrifying. Nearly as scary as your <laughs> Wumper, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> that does sound scary. But it's there. There are parts of it that really do make me love it. Like it is endearing. But I can mm-hmm. see that the next one will be better. I really yeah. want to see the slow motion of it slowly t posing towards you and going. Well, lucky you that I clipped it and I've got the file saved. So it may be Do coming it, to please. you soon. Yeah. Oh my that, God, please. That sounds scary. Yeah. No, well, I yeah. think, I think, um, <laughs> I think for me the 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 magic started to burn out uh, when I was behind the curtain doing working on the prequels. Right. It was, mm-hmm. it was. I loved that original universe world. I loved playing with it. I still love it. That's why I love the Mandalorian and Rogue One and the Han Solo movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, anybody, any of you who dissed the Han Solo movie, I don't understand you people. Like that was exactly what a Han Solo movie should be. It's there we all, go. I, all I wanted, nothing more. Yep. It's the Wook and the Crook getting into trouble. Nice. And, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> that might and be the title the of this episode, The Wook and the Crook. Yeah, Just The Wook and the Crook. Yeah. Well, that quote came from um, Brian Daly, who wrote the original Han Solo adventure novels. I had a really great... Mm-hmm phone conversations with him in the mid 90s when I was trying to think about uh, ideas for um, for a Han Solo game and he wrote the book on that stuff so, and he was he was delighted that I remembered those books let alone would, would have a conversation with him and he sent me an autographed copy of all three of them that said uh, you, know, uh, you know best wishes from the Wook and the Crook and me so that was oh, that's nice. how he saw that's them amazing. the Wook and the Crook uh, 
Um, and that movie, I wish he was alive. He died just a few years later. I, I wish he could have seen that movie. Um, yeah. It's it's very much in the spirit of the of the books he wrote, um, and that's the world I want to play in. So the 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 Star Wars universe started to get really you know when we were told we had to work on prequels and other studios like Bioware got to work on, you know, uh, really cool things like Knights of the Old Republic or yeah or all the stuff that we all wanted to do. We were we were kind of stuck in this make a game about the movie and you know and mm-hmm. all the crap that comes with that. Plus the general, you know, you know how it is. The prequels just you know, didn't add up to everything that we, <laughs> I like we that all imagined. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and being behind the, the scenes for that was just, it was just hard because I saw it coming. You know, I saw yeah. it coming. Um, and, and a lot of us did. And it, it's just really hard to explain how you, you see something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's moments in there that you're just like, oh, that's brilliant. And then... Yeah. There's a lot that uh-huh. isn't, and and so when I see now all these Star Wars games coming out now that are back in that world that we all love, that's great. Um, and with amazing graphics and all that stuff, yeah. I'd be I'd be up for playing another trench run that looked photoreal, you know. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. Still, still, <laughs> you can still keep turning that dial up and and make it more like a movie. That that actually falls on really well to the next question, which was, uh, if you could be involved in a new Star Wars game, what would it be? Ah, that is a good question. I've been asked that many times before. I mean, I, I, I always wanted to do the, you know, Darth Vader hunts down the Jedi game. That's what Revenge of the Sith was, was supposed to be before George Lucas personally told me I was not allowed to make that game. Wow. Because it was not, it was not uh, the story of his movie, which is a tragedy. It's like, you can yeah. make the Vader, Vader is the ultimate villain game. That sounds great, but it can't have anything to do with my movie because my movie is about what a failure and a, and a weakling he is. Yeah. So I you can't and it made total sense, but like, <laughs> dude, are you crazy? Like everybody wants to be Darth Vader and go and, like, and just really kick did. ass. Yeah. yeah. Um and that 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 scene at the end of Rogue Rogue One is just I, I everybody wants to do Perfect. that. It was so good. Perfect. That it is some so of the best good. cinema I had seen possibly ever in the cinema. I was yeah. like my mouth was literally open watching that yeah. scene. I was gobsmacked. So good. Yeah, so being being someone that is that powerful, it's like Hulk was a Hulk Ultimate Destruction game, which I absolutely yeah. Yeah. loved. Um, it was a great game. It's that kind of fantasy fulfillment. It's so easy to wrap your head around. I'm Vader. I'm pissed. I'm on a mission. You Jedi are gonna die, and I'm gonna be. I'm taking no prisoners. I mean that that. It's a difficult thing to to wrestle with if you're trying to do a heroic game and feel good about your character and have a story that makes sense and all that kind of stuff. But as a fantasy fulfillment, that's awesome. But honestly, a game that takes place in the world of the the bounty hunters uh, uh, is still is still kind of the the one that would you know pull me back in if I was asked yeah. to be pulled in. Yeah, a Mando yeah, game would be great. Yeah. Definitely, a Mando game would be so cool. Mm-hmm. I, there is one final question from Cusworth, which is, do you have any copies of the collectible card game you modeled for, the, your card? No, no, see that, I didn't model for that one. I, I, I know, you're talking about the Hildebrandt brothers, Is he I wrong? Um, well, Ooh. we did do some, I did do some poses for our storyboard artist, and then some of those scenes might have worked their way into the N64 cinematics, um, but okay. we also hired a model uh, we hired a model who who posed for most of those, and so most of those scenes you saw of Dash were 
different flavors of that model plus me aging him up because he was like 22 years old and we need Dash uh-huh. to be, you know, late 30s or something. But yeah, I, I, the Hildebrandt mother, uh, brothers also had their own model or models that they hired for, for Dash Rendar, and they're the ones who did the, the card game. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure how that rumor got started. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. He seems to know, like, everything about Star Wars, so I just take him for his word for everything. Yeah. <laughs> but he says that he doesn't actually have a Dash card, so he says that if you've got one knocking about, that he's got something he could definitely oh, trade you. Yeah, he'll trade you for anything. <laughs> it's funny, I, I did go digging through the garage recently and found... Some, bunch of old <clears throat> stuff including the old, the only sketch i ever did of dash's face i think i posted it on oh wow Twitter. oh wow that's um, awesome tag us in that but, uh, i'd love to see it i'd love to see that oh yeah yeah it's on my it's on my twitter feed i'll send it to you guys after yeah, this, fine, definitely yeah. i think i might have scrolled through before and seen but yeah, honestly your artwork is just amazing yeah. So cool. back when back when I did it, I don't even that was that was probably the funnest part about that time. Like the job I have now, it's not like that, right? Everybody wants to know, um, you know, how is that going to be fun? How is it? You know, the the questions that come at you are 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 are, are reasonable but challenging. Where in in those days, I'd just be sitting at my desk, humming along, doing some stuff, and somebody walk by and go, "Oh my God, that's amazing! That's so cool! Can you play that again?" and that was kind of fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it was like that for almost ten years, and then when you enter the world of game design, nobody's complimenting you on how awesome your ideas are, uh, or how how well you're able to take a team's ideas. All you're do, all they're doing is questioning and challenging. And and if it all comes out great, you know that's awesome. <laughs> when it when it doesn't, it's all your fault. So yeah. it was kind of fun just being just being an artist and getting to do fun art. Uh, but, um, yeah. Uh, my next question actually ties in nicely to that. We seem to be flowing really well through the questions here. They're all tying together. Uh, so fans often criticize LucasArts and LucasFilm as if they don't put tons of thought into the discussions, into all the content that they create. So what is it like working with some of the creative minds behind the Star Wars games in relation to the games? And have you noticed any changes in how dedicated the people who make the games at Lucas are over time? Well, again, it's there's nobody at Lucas making Star Wars games anymore, right? It's, no, not, it's no. Very, various studios working for EA. Um, Respawn, so, isn't it? I, I mean, yeah, at the time, there was a, a studio of, you know, that grew from 50 to, I think, ultimately at 400 people. Um, wow. Put a lot of thought into all the games we're making. The problem is we're making too many of them. I, I think at one point we were making six Star Wars games in the same building, or four at least. Oh, wow. Uh, Jesus. One for every genre, right? And and that was, that just, uh, you know, that was, part of it was a shotgun approach. Like, let's just get a Star Wars game in every genre we can think of, and if we don't have enough people, we'll hire some other studios to do one. There was even a demolition game, if you remember, uh, that somebody, I can't remember what studio did, but it was it was Star Wars Demolition. Really? <laughs> I've never even yes, heard of that one. Really? <laughs> no, neither have I. Um, look it up. I, 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 that might have been what it was called. I can't remember. But then there was a fighting game and all kinds of other stuff. And I remember I that one. Saying. Yeah. So I think that uh, what ended up happening was that just that it didn't allow us to go deep into any one big game. And we all knew we just needed to make another game like Jedi Knight, right? Um, or something that allowed us to take the the current you know the genre that everybody loves. Um, and also build a big, great uh, original story around it and really, really immerse people. Um, 
we honestly just didn't have we just weren't allowed to do it maybe uh or we didn't have the time to do it especially when you're making a game of the movie you can't you know you've got 18 months before the movie comes out your game has to come out two weeks before the movie you know it's going to be it's going to it's going to get a critical knock because you're not going to be able to do what everybody wants Mm -hmm. Um, so i'm glad to see that there are studios out there now who are or whoever's controlling the the brand is able to let them go deep and let them create something really compelling. From what from what it sounds like, it sounds like Fallen Order, uh, or Fallen what's it called? Fallen Order. Yeah, Jedi um, Fallen Order. That's a really yeah a nice big fat compelling Star Wars game. But um, fans are always going to want more depth, uh, mm-hmm. and so more yeah. depth is going to take more time, more investment. It's you know it's going to be. Gajillions of dollars to make. It's high <laughs> risk, you know. There's, there's, there was a time though when it was just let's just pump them out. Sadly, um, and mm-hmm. I was kind of part of that machine. Hey, it happens. It happens, mate. But what you did was good, so that's all right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the important part. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Geary from Geek Pride has asked: Out of all of the projects you've worked on, what's been your favorite? Oh, it's tough. They, they all, you know. They're they're like children, right? You hear that all the time. People who make movies and stuff. There's, <laughs> you know, some of my kids didn't turn out so well. <laughs> you know, in real in real life, my my kids turn out wonderful. That's great. But yeah, I look back on some of them. The Super Star Wars trilogy. I think I'm really proud of those. Um, I'm also really proud of X Wing and Tie Fighter. Um, I mm-hmm. just think that those were and those were both done around the same time. Um, I think that those those stand up really well. I think the story for Bounty Hunter is one of the things yeah. I'm most proud of. I, I wish I could go back and fix a lot of the, the gameplay that, that, you know, just didn't, didn't rise to the same level. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that, right? Um, I'm still proud of Shadows of the Empire, although I wish I could fix a lot of it as well. I think that we showed up uh, with the first 3D action console experience for most, for many people. Mm-hmm. And we gave them something um, that was pretty cool and, and, uh, Groundbreaking. It did not age well at all, but at the time, that was pretty mind-blowing to have coming off your TV screen. So I'm yeah, it was great. I, yeah, I still definitely. remember that speeder bike level. That was so hard, <laughs> you know, going around yeah. Tatooine. Was it Tatooine? Yeah. Tatooine, that level? Yeah, you have to fly yeah, the bike the and chase someone. Yeah, bike you? level. Yeah, and I that got feedback really from Nintendo that, Val, you need to put some directional arrows up, and I was like, oh, that's hand-holding. I mean, it's yeah, stupid, you, you know. No, it yeah. was a good yes, challenge. Like I, I liked the challenge. Have. It was good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the racing games we work on now, we have big turn, you know, chevrons that show yeah. you to turn right or left because you know what? You actually need those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no question. Like we don't, we don't say that doesn't make sense. They wouldn't have those on Tatooine. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that that was my point. That wouldn't make sense. Who would put yeah. up turn signals on Tatooine? I got you, dude. The Jawas are very conscious about you know. Yeah, people's yeah. safety. <laughs> They'd be yeah. crashing and going, <laughs> flying up in the air and stuff. <laughs> the next question comes from the guys again. At, uh, this is from Dylan. And he said, thoughts on the folks like John Favreau and Dave Filoni on what they're doing with the current Star Wars universe. Oh, I think that what they're doing is absolutely amazing. You can tell that they mm-hmm. love this world. They love the the material they're working with. They've assembled a, a killer team and they're they've really tapped into the magic uh, of um, Star Wars. I mean, to connect you to a droid, you know, IG-11, I think his name was, um, yeah. <clears throat> in, a, in a more emotional way than any of the movies have done for me personally, whether it's the prequels or the sequel sequels, 
um, like none of those characters, I, I, I've, I've, I haven't connected really with any of them. Um, and, and, you know, and it wasn't just because I was a kid that I connected to Luke and Han and, and Leia, right? I mean, it was, there, there was something, maybe it's because I was a kid and I wasn't jaded. I don't know. But like when Luke was scared, I was scared shitless, you know, uh, when Han Solo got frozen, my heart, my heart broke, you know, I was like, I felt, and now, you know, I haven't felt that way since watching in, uh, any Star Wars thing until The Mandalorian. Like, that's that's pretty powerful stuff for a robot, is. you know? Yeah, it is. And the the baby Yoda is just like, every scene he's in, I simultaneously want to cry my, and my, my heart breaks. I work on Mandalorian called The Child. You have to call it yeah. The Child. Sorry, The Child. Yes, you are right. You are right. I'm just, that's yeah. what everyone knows it as. So I've, you've got to say that. Yeah, but, yeah that uh, connection. That connection between yeah. the two of them is 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 great. It's it's, it's the most uh, heart melting thing. It is. It so hurts adorable. every scene he's in. I just want to cry. Yeah. But I love it. It's the soup. It's the soup part. Yeah, I when love he's it swinging so the much. soup. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and it's it's no easy thing to pull off that kind of performance uh, behind a mask too. But um, they definitely found the man to do that. So it's, yeah, they did. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's that that great. lends credence to me that I I still think Nintendo should do a Samus and Metroid series. I think that could work so well because it's such a similar thing, but in a more sci-fi, and not more, I suppose it's more fantasy sci-fi than, or heavy yeah. sci-fi, that's about it, I'd say. I'd say it could definitely be darker too. Yeah. Metroid. Yeah, yeah I think so. But yeah, yeah I think they'd good. do that yeah. well. Yeah, it's one of those things you hope they could. I mean, there's always been the rumors of a Halo movie and... You know, yeah, yeah. it's you just never know how any of those things would uh, would pan out or, or meet your expectations. Maybe that's why they haven't been made yet. Um, yeah, so, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they the Mandalorian was just it was just perfect, right? Um, just just what the doctor ordered. I oh yeah, it, I it was definitely executed absolutely perfectly. They couldn't have done it any better. And I and I loved it that Clancy Brown is in it. You know, and I I made sure we cast Clancy Brown for. The, the the role of Montross in did, Bounty yeah. Hunter um, because he's got the greatest villainous voice of all time but he he's also Mr. Krabs Mr. Krabs he is during the voice sessions he's like why do they always cast me as a villain is it my voice or something you know you guys <laughs> yes, always it might be. villain roles you know <laughs> I could have been the hero I could have been Anakin except George took too long to make the movies <laughs> yeah, I love oh, Anakin Brilliant. With you yeah. mentioning Stranger Things earlier on, I'm now thinking, yeah. who's the better babysitter, IG-11 or Steve? <laughs> or Steve, ah. <laughs> oh, that's Steve. hard. <coughs> Steve, <laughs> I, I think cool. Steve's probably, yeah. I, I think know. Steve is cool. No, there's Steve a great so nostalgia good. boom going on right now with, with a lot of these uh, shows and Cobra Kai. I just binge-watched that the last two nights. Oh, my God. What, I need to watch where, that. Where where have I been the last couple of years? Apparently, it's just been, it was hiding on Netflix or YouTube until recently. Yeah, YouTube Red, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a fantastic show! Great writing, great characters. That's really what it's about. Is 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 uh, the characters behind it? And I think that's what makes Mandalorian so strong. It's just a great character piece. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We've got a question from Jake Hat, who's at Ghostbrush. So he's an artist as well, concept artist and everything like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's really talented guy. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Check him out, John. Yeah, I, I think you'd love it. It's all mm. monsters and stuff like that. It's just so good. Oh, great. But he says, when it comes down to working on a huge IP, like Star Wars, is it more creatively suffocating? Or is it like because of the predefined guides? Or is it fun to use their ideas as like a platform for your own? 
Uh, I think it is more of the latter. Uh, for me, it was. If you get an opportunity to to do that, I mean, Bounty Hunter, I got to write my own story. I got to come up with my own characters. I got to come up with my own world. Um, <clears throat> I just had to get a few yes or no questions past George Lucas uh, to allow me to do that. Uh, I think there were 10 of them that I had to send in an inner office envelope. Came back, all but one were yes. And the only one that was no, he actually wrote in the margins, like what he meant. And like, he, he cares about this stuff, right? And, 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 and it was great to be able to have the freedom to play around in that world and respect it, I think. Um, yes, I have been also pigeonholed or, or put into a box that was really hard to move in. Anytime you're making a game of the movie, you're, you're, you're in that box. It's really hard to get out of. Um, <clears throat> but uh, luckily, uh, we're able to... Um, that was part of it was me insisting too that we we able were and other people who worked on Star Wars games with with us uh, that were able to kind of tell their own story, create our own characters. Um, That's the only way to stop from going crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think I think it's like that uh, for anybody who's working in a big franchise, especially if you work on one for you know years. I mean, I was doing this for fourteen years. Like I I would have. It was very hard to do the Revenge of the Sith play the movie game actually because of that, but even yeah, then it was still it was still kind of fun to work on. I remember renting that from Blockbuster. <laughs> that was supposed to be the Vader kicks ass and hunts down all the Jedi game, until yeah. we were told we couldn't do that, and it became the play the movie game, which played a lot like, uh, I guess you say the um, Lord of the Rings Two Towers game. You know? I love that game. I yeah. love that game so much. Yeah. But it was it had some cool lights here. It's a super talented team, super talented mm-hmm. artists, um, and and programmers making it um, really good lightsaber combat. But it, it has that problem with lightsaber games where if if you really want the fantasy of the lightsaber, you're slicing through things left and right, and that yeah. really doesn't make for a fun game. So you end up your your lightsaber becomes a baseball bat. Don't 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 how many times can I hit this guy? Wouldn't you said there were like. You, there was one out of ten things on the list that you had to kind of. One of them was a no. Can you say what that no was? Oh yeah, no. I um, you know, I, I asked him questions like, um, can I explain, you know, that how Jango Fett was was chosen through a bounty hunt for a deranged Jedi, and you know the, the question or the answer was yes. Can I, can I uh, give Jango a handler or a, a friend who finds you know helps him find bounties who kind of speaks as a voice of conscience for him yes you know can i explain the origin of the slave one yes um the no was when i asked him something like um can i make this a a revenge story about something bad that happened to Django when he was a kid and he wrote no he wrote keep it about the money and um and and that was it. And I thought that was a brilliant answer. And then he had another. Uh, and then on some of the other ones were kind of uh, explain why Django wanted a son. He wrote uh, in the margins on the paper in his trademark red pen, something like this, like in a word legacy. Um, and then I was able to have conversations with him about those things afterward. But that was really great. It just kept me on track. It's like Django's a mercenary. Doesn't have to be anything more than about the money. But he also wants to leave a legacy. You know, that's, that's a nice he quote. Wants like that is yeah. like a tattoo worthy three word tattoo like in a word legacy. No, just oh, in a word really legacy. Good. I think that's really <laughs> well, you cool. Could have, you could have 
You could have that on one arm. In a word, legacy, and the other arm, keep it about the money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my life and my life in tattoos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, I was saying about Bounty Hunter, the, the character that you created as the enemy. Was yeah, that the same also. character that they then expanded on into the cartoons, who was like Count Dooku's apprentice? Think, yeah, I think it was kind of a reimagining. I mean, both <clears throat> both Vosa and Ventress, which was, was her name, were both inspired by a really creepy sketches that concept artist Ian McKegg had drawn um, uh, for Sith warlords and stuff mm-hmm. like that when he was doing the, the concept art for the prequels. And we saw these really spooky-looking female characters we thought whoa you know that's that'd make a great villain yeah um something you don't normally see in a star wars game um and so we <clears throat> kind of took one of those and you know twisted it up a bit and that became bosa and her twin lightsabers were part of that because i think one of his sketches she had two curved yeah two curved handles in her she? belt yeah and so um and i think ventress was just a, an, another i can't remember who who came up with all that but i know it was in the was it the Rebel series or was it uh, Clone Wars? But I think it was the, Clone Wars first, and then it carried yeah. on into the yeah. Yeah, and I think someone figured out a way to connect her story to Vosa's story, and and those were actually Vosa's lightsabers, which is cool. I mean, you know, none of that stuff is probably canon. Uh, maybe it is if it's in Rebels or in Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, I think it would um, be then. So if it is, that's nice that some of the stuff I came up with still survives. Yeah, definitely. It's real cool. I mean, that was part of the, the other story of Bounty Hunter, the back, the back some of the backstory and Mandalorian this and Montross mm-hmm. that and Jester Mareel and all this stuff was really uh, to try to transpose some of the now defunct legends that we used to apply to Boba in the expanded universe, which were yeah. immediately you know, moot when he said, no, he's a clone. Then I was like, well, that was one of my questions to George. Can I take some of the mythology around Boba Fett and Mandalorians and apply them to Django and his past? <clears throat> and he said right. yes. So so that's cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, nice. Well, I'm glad really you got awesome. to carry a bit over because obviously I know a lot of people were upset when they sort of expunged all of the extended canon, especially now as well because they've done away with even more, haven't they? Uh, with the yeah, I think now they're saying Jenga was never a Mandalorian and neither was Boba. It's like whatever, you know. Maybe they're maybe they're fanboys who wanted to yeah. be like Mandalorians or yeah. something. But I, I I can't keep up with all of what's canon and what's not. At the time, it made sense, and as far as I know, we didn't step on the toes of anything uh, that George had had written or or created, which was kind of the only thing that was canon at that mm-hmm. time. Um, <clears throat> so, but it's still it's when I see a show like The Mandalorian, I. Yeah, I know it wasn't inspired by the game I did. It was inspired by the same material that inspired me. And yeah. and that's what I love is that people still get to come in and create new worlds and stories in that world um, and share it with us. And and um, whether George is in charge or Disney's in charge or whomever, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, <laughs> I'm glad that that's still a thing. Yeah, yeah, you know? me too. And, me too, man. Definitely. Whether it's, awesome. it's canon or not. Yeah. Uh, our next question is, uh, what have been your favorite little elements you've worked on in any of the games in your career, little details that you've taken a joy in creating? Uh, it's, it's funny. The, the little side-scrolling uh, characters of Luke and Han running around just shooting in all directions and all oh, that yeah. stuff. I didn't really know how to animate. I didn't go to a school that taught you how to animate. Um, I, But I had to learn because it was my job to make all these mm-hmm. guys move. And I ended up... Uh, getting a book, checking out a book from the Lucasfilm Library by Edward Moybridge, 
from okay. the 1800s, 1880s. He's <laughs> wow. a guy who's famously, famously used a stop-motion camera to take pictures of humans and, and animals in motion. Oh, I've seen that. Frame yeah. by frame. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I've seen that. Yeah, it's an amazing reference uh, book. And if you look really hard, you'll probably see that, you know, all of, all the characters I read, all the characters I animated are using those same frames. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's about nine. It takes 19 frames minimum to make a really good run cycle. But it's yeah. uh, that pro. So I'm I'm proud that I taught myself how to animate and and then also animate in 3D. You know the the 2D walker that is stomping around in in or sorry the 3D walker that's stomping around in Shadows of the Empire. I did that as well. Yeah, and that's and, great. Love that bit. And that. You know, that's from just taking apart the movies visually and trying to understand what the stop motion animators who worked on the films did. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of little technical details in animation that I learned on the fly that I'm still really proud of in, in those days. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll love going into Jedi Fallen Order because you do get to fight a walker as well <laughs> in that one. I'd really like to see you play that bit and see how it feels like. <sighs> I hope they animate it properly. A lot of times people do it wrong and they just move the legs, but it actually walks like a chicken where yeah, it's it trying tilts, to keep its it? yeah. balance and th there's this there's this you know, there's this rhythm to the walk. Anyway, I'm getting technical, yeah. but that, <laughs> that, that that's it's uh weight weight transfer is yeah. really important. Um and another fun secret from Shadows or from Pod Racer was the not just not just inspired things things that inspired me that I did, but um my partner the programmer at the time, Eric Johnston, he he was inspired by rollerblading um, behind his two big dogs with a rope. That's he's the one oh, who right. came up with all the the physics that happens when you go around corners and how you control these you know very powerful engines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. And around San Francisco, which is scary just to contemplate that oh, he's is. doing that in the hills of San Francisco. But yeah, he Very took steep. all that inspiration and applied it to his code for the pod race behavior. So. That's so good. San Francisco so cool. is a scary place to walk around, let alone ride around being pulled by dogs. <laughs> me, and, yeah, me and my friend, uh, is it the film Bullet, isn't it? There's a film film called yeah. Bullet where the, the car One chase. One of the greatest car chases, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's, what, it's my uncle's favorite film. And me and my best friend at the time were traveling around America and we recreated the car chase on foot <laughs> running and did like all the footage going. It was me and Martin, Jordan. <laughs> uh, that's fun. Of course so it was. Cool. Yeah. So we sent the so images. You have to reach into a backpack every, every few uh, scenes and thro throw a uh, hubcap down the yeah, road yeah. to really uh, <laughs> capture it. Uh, yeah, that was great. Great fun. Uh, your question next, Joe, man. I, we touched on this before as well. We've touched on a lot of these questions already, so it's yeah. real easy. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about the trash compactor scene being removed from Super Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So we, when we spoke to Carlos, he said that every game that he's ever worked on and every game that will ever be released sadly has a lot of cut content. Yeah. Uh, are there some that you really wish had made it into some of the games? Um, yeah, actually, there's... Uh... There's there's a few. I think that with games it's a little different than movies where you, they they usually like they'll finish a whole thing and then they'll cut it. Uh, games I, it's rare that you cut something after it's finished. You usually cut it because you can't finish it. Um, but uh, one of the things we cut because we couldn't spend was a was a final ending scene or a epilogue um, or denouement I guess to uh, Bounty Hunter that took place 10 years later. Uh, so at the end of the game, um, 
you know, Vosa dies and Spoilers. Django meets Deku and, and yeah, sorry. <laughs> and then, uh, and he and Zam are just like, yeah, well, you know, they, they get away with the money and there's a lot of unanswered questions there. Like in the movie, you find out Django and actually kills Zam with a dart because she's about to blab to the Jedi who hired her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a, I had a whole chapter that was dedicated to that whole sequence and how hard that was for Django because they were friends. Right. Um, right. even though Django doesn't really have any friends at the end of the day, you got to take care of, you know, got to mm-hmm. take care of your client. Um, but the, the final ending scene was, was, uh, Django and Boba in their apartment on Camino, looking out over the clone army as they're doing <clears throat> maneuvers and training exercises and, and, uh, Boba saying something like, you know, it's only 10 years and it's a fine army too, you know? And then the kid being like, you know, I feel sorry for them sometimes growing so fast, you know, always training. They never got to be a kid like me. And then Boba feels, you know, looks kind of sad and he goes, um, I'm different, or whatever a kid would say. And Django says, you are different, Boba, you're my son. And, you know, you yeah. shouldn't feel sorry for them. I feel proud, you know, something like that. And that was a cool scene, I thought, and just like what well, would play in less than a minute, but we would have had to create assets that were unique, like his Camino yeah, yeah. scene and young Boba and all this other crap. So that got cut really quickly. And at the end of the day, it wasn't germane to the story of Bounty Hunter, but it was still nice to have a father-son moment. <clears throat> yeah, I get um, that. Yeah. Which is what Bounty Hunter was all about. Like, why does he want a kid? Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's really nice to know I've, that, though, knowing that I've completed yeah, that, that game and seen the ending things. that we got. Yeah, it's yeah. cool to know that would have been the next bit that happened. So thank you. That. Yeah, that would have been the, the capper at the end. Yeah. That's so cool. I've, I've like getting so much information. <laughs> I know, so yeah, great. it's cool, isn't it? Uh, what else have we got? So we've got, what is your favorite Star Wars outside of the original trilogy? So either the prequels, the sequels, Rogue One and Solo, or the TV series being Clone Wars, Rebels, and Mando? Well, Mandalorian, most definitely. I think, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think Rogue One, probably, probably my next in line. Um, and like I said, I absolutely loved Solo. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the, uh, you know, it was exactly the kind of movie I wanted it to be. Nothing more, nothing less. You yeah. Know, just a just a romp. It's very cool that people who have seen. So I presume you saw the original films in the cinema, right? The original film, yeah, it was about. It was on my eighth birthday because those movies right. always came out around around my birthday. So uh, that was the first um, my first Star Wars experience. Uh, it was kind of the perfect age for it because then you know your formative years you know kind of when you're 11 10 or 11 12 you know that's when empire strikes back came out and that's like that's when things got one. serious yeah, you know, yeah. And you're starting to there's different layers to this whole thing and han solo is a girlfriend and i'm starting to like girls too so <laughs> you know that's cool i was for a minute there i thought that was kind of weird but it's like if he can like girls and i can like yeah i mean it was yeah yeah these are it. the things going through an 11 year old's mind and your heroes are going through all these important life changes so yeah, um, it was a it was a good time, and I think it was probably like that for a generation of Harry Potter fans, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah that was, that maybe was like a my generation, generation of Marvel yeah. fans. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Yeah, it's just interesting to see that people who enjoyed the original the original trilogy in the cinema seem to mostly mm. prefer Rogue One and the Mandalorian, and I think yeah. it's because they captured that tone. They got the exact tone spot on of the originals. I think. Especially like Rogue One, yeah. that really did get it perfect. 
I really did like that one. Yeah, no, that was a really great, really great piece of, you know, what really happened. Just like the games were always like, what really happened before? You know, yeah. what's what's the real story behind the the data plans, which I think we told in several different games differently. All right. It's nice to see. <laughs> it's nice to see a movie do it so well, and show that like this is pain. This is war. Like yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, this is there's no happy ending for these people. Yeah. Right. I'd, so is the comparison I've got a question make about for Halo Reach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Halo Reach. It's Halo I, Reach. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Why did it? Why did it? Why did people bag on it? I had yeah. a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Well, they're the same kind of story, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. One and Halo Reach, like they're pretty much identical. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I like it. It's cool. Yeah. I've got. Yeah. Can I just ask you something that was from my childhood? Because having you here, you might be able to fill me in on this. Because I have no idea how we knew this when we were in yeah. like primary school which is like elementary school in the uk um i remember me and my friends talking about darth vader and how he ended up being in the suit and we knew that he had fought obi-wan on a lava planet yeah we knew that back in the 90s before it ever came out yeah yeah so how was that ever released somewhere that we knew about it because we definitely spoke about it i'm trying to remember yes it was i mean it wasn't i don't think it was ever uh, written into an actual story that people read, but I think uh, the details had come out uh, through things that George had said in various interviews, or it might have right. been in the... That's a good question. I don't know where that came from, but we all knew that too. We all right, knew good. That, okay. that there was a duel between Obi-Wan and Anakin on a lava planet years ahead of the actual event happening. Right. So that, good, yeah, good. that's I'm got glad. me... That's got me wondering where the hell that came from first. Yeah, because sure like, someone's got the I, answer. I was sure that I remember us talking about this, but then at the same time, I was like, "There, I can't get any way of knowing how we would you have can't known think that because we were like for it. seven and eight. Yeah. Like, how it, would we have known it? It as might have been in one of the early drafts of the Star Wars, uh, the Luke Adventures of Luke Starkiller script. I can't remember. I mean, that's where I got oh, the name maybe. Montross from. That was actually a character that was kind of a combination of Han Solo and Chewbacca before. Han Solo and Chewbacca were a thing. There was a dude called Montross. Oh, okay. Um, and I just thought that was a perfect name for a guy who's even meaner than Jango Fett. So yeah. I'll make Jango Fett's enemy named Montross. So sometimes we just reach into that bag of yeah, George Lucas's names. old discarded ideas to create new ideas. And the Lava Planet, I, God, I want to say it came from one of those, one of those things. Right, cool. Sure. Well, thank you for ensuring that I'm not crazy. I, I no, you're you not that. crazy at all. <laughs> no crazier than normal. No, no more than no. normal, you know. <laughs> we'll go, I'm going to skip over the one about the 2014 Change the Expanded Universe because we've already pretty much gone over it. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one is from myself. Is Jar Jar Binks a powerful Sith Lord? Yes or no? <laughs> no, but in the early versions of the script, he was a pretty cool character, believe it or not. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, no, he was he was more like a fierce warrior who had uh, made a terrible mistake and was banished from his tribe. And and this was before there was a Qui-Gon. <clears throat> so it was just uh, Obi-Wan. And I'm glad they came up with Qui-Gon because Obi-Wan needed that sort of uh, mentor to cement yeah. the whole thing. But yeah, the early versions of the script, Jar Jar was not comic relief. He was kind of a badass. Um, right. Yeah. I, I didn't I, hate I that character when I watched believe. it. Yeah, I, no, I liked it when I watched true. it. That's the thing. <laughs> it's true. He was. You think of him like a native, a native warrior who Obi Wan connects with and needs in order to get the hum, uh, his tribe to help. Uh, 
you know, the the people from Naboo or whatever, but they hate each other. And so, anyway, it was uh, it was really cool. It's it played it it read a lot more like fantasy, you know, sci-fi fantasy to me to to meet this really cool, uh, more like Avatar, I guess. Yeah, he was I was like going to say like a Navi. Avatar. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I was trying to remember their names, but and then he became comic relief. Yeah. Because he wasn't important anymore. Because you had uh, Qui Gon, but he still, you know, and that was a unfortunate direction. But yeah, he said yeah. it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, I I really liked the the addition of Liam Neeson as Qui Gon. I think that's really really great. Oh yeah. I think it was a yeah. great piece in the film. I, I think uh, we spoke about this before, haven't we, Jordan? The worst, the worst he, he, Jedi ever. I've got a bad feeling about this. Nah, it's fine. It's all right. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I know he cost the production like an extra $300,000 or something. Yeah, because he's he's really tall. So they had to build the sets a little bit higher. And everything oh, really? in the background had to, because he's the same height as me, Jordan. He's really oh. tall. So he's like, oh. it had, all the sets had to be massive. Yeah, so it cost him loads of extra money. Just, and, crouch, uh, just crouch down a bit. Just crouch Liam, down. Stand Liam, up, crouch. Kneel on your shoes. Liam. <laughs> Yeah, I I also really like the inclusion in uh, I think it's what's the latest series? Is it Rebels when they've still got o old Obi Wan Kenobi? Yeah, 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 Rebels. I think again, I, like, I haven't seen it. I hear it's great. Yeah, there's a part at the end. I don't want to. I'm not going to spoil things, but there's a part where him and Darth Maul meet, and oh, he when he they obviously have a bit of a, a kerfuffle because obviously Darth Maul is a bit angry about him chopping off his legs as you would yeah. be. Uh, and when they're about to fight, uh, Obi-Wan goes from his fighting stance into Qui-Gon's fighting stance just for a brief oh, moment. Just to mess him up? Yeah, so he'll faint oh. a move that he did to kill Qui-Gon, you know, when he hit him with his thing and then, like, stabbed him. Uh, and it's like, cool. if, if you nice blink, touch. you would entirely miss that from the program. It's literally a split-second thing. And it was so nice. It was wow. And as an animator, I'm sure you will really appreciate that. So look it up. It's on YouTube about it. Very, very cool. Well, it's cool. I mean, I, I wish we never, it was never published, but, uh, you know, when Nick Gillard taught us, again, the stunt coordinator for the films, when he taught us the fundamental poses of, mm -hmm. of lightsaber combat, there's only nine poses. Um, yeah. The rest are all freeform attacks and things like that. But, and I could, you know, I could remember them all. There's, there's one, there's two, there's three, there's four, there's five, there's six, there's hanging six. <laughs> um, and then there's there's a seven eight nine and those, once you ha all of their moves are all based on one of those nine blocks and then how they react to that block whether it's a shunt yeah. or a fade or anything like that and um, you know I, I would hope that I don't I don't watch these these shows anymore I don't know if they still try to ping his expertise uh, in doing those I, I hope they do or somebody has that but yeah, it's, I imagine it's actually re, re based on real martial arts like you know he, he thought it was ridiculous that all these you know movies would have somebody holding their sword behind them he's like you never put your weapon you always keep your weapon between you and the guy who's trying to kill you you don't put it behind your back like like a baseball yeah, player yeah. that's stupid you know <laughs> so <laughs> you know things like that are actually kind of important if you want to be authentic yeah I yeah know. totally I, th I thought everybody held their lightsaber behind their back you know and <laughs> like oh, i'll get you <laughs> no you, you keep it between you and the guy who's trying to kill you sprinting at them yeah, exactly just like come back come back <laughs> the time it's going to take you to move from here to a block you're already dead exactly yeah uh, we have another question from twitter this one is from at untrained eye. I promise we're nearly at the end now, by the way. We've got like two more. <laughs> I'm aware okay. we're keeping you a while. 
this one is from at untrained eye on Twitter, and they said, "Will there ever be a Shadows of the Empire remaster? I think that would be awesome to see with modern graphics and controls." And I agree. That's all I'm saying. I agree. Yeah, probably not. I mean, no. I would, I would imagine not. I know that, I know that there's, there's a goal uh, within the the new org, whatever, to re- remaster and re-release some of the games. I don't think that would be one of them, honestly. Um, oh. uh, I, I, I'm glad that they're focusing on the the uh, adventure games. Um, mm-hmm. Those, those kind of need to be presented to a new generation to see if they'll they'll find them entertaining because like i said adventure games were killed by the first person shooter yeah um so it's kind of fun that people are seeing those come back i don't know that that one would come back it makes more sense to do like a, a an up-res pod racer which i think they did for the connect yeah uh, there was okay. some connect star wars game that had moments of nice looking unreal engine looking pod racers but that's the one with the um han solo dance wasn't it yeah yeah. Yeah, prior. There's yeah, there's some regrettable things. <laughs> John Tron's sure. video on that, if you've not seen it, is amazing. But yeah, it's hilarious, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, some choices should not be made. No, no. <laughs> uh our next question oh. is from another one of Jordan's friends, Tom Rains on Facebook. He says he's got so many questions, but I would have to be interested to know if he himself is a big Star Wars fan, and if so, what is Sorry, I'm gonna. This is a really complicated sentence. Uh, what is part of a game to develop, or his favorite memory of the entire development process? So, is there anything that sticks out to you? I think um, we kind of covered that briefly before. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I guess I am still a Star Wars fan. Like I said, it's been reawakened with with Mandalorian and, mm-hmm. and some of the um, the spinoff movies, particularly. Um, not a rabid fan, though. I, 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 I don't consume all the. All the material. I still haven't watched Clone Wars or Rebels, even though I have, I have friends who actually work on those shows. Um, oh, wow. I just, I just haven't really dived into those. Um, but I think, you know, the I really do think that being being there behind the scenes, um, behind games like X-Wing and TIE Fighter, probably, you know, one of the biggest highlights, you know, for me yeah. um, personally. Um, those, were, those were some incredible... That was... It was it was an incredible experience making those and also playing those games. Um, although again, they were brutally hard, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't I don't think we'd approach them quite the same way today. Um, but uh, it, that was it was pretty cool to be working on those while at the same time doing a little side scroller games for the mm-hmm. SNES. It was just I had this breadth of things I got to work on that yeah. that um, made a big impact. Uh, I, I think in did. Star Wars games. Yeah, that's really cool, man. No, that's. Great answer. Great answer there. I believe you got some more there, John. We've got a bunch from David Henderson. However, with the time we're running at, I'm going to pick one. Okay. uh, All right. Which I'm going to go for. uh, Who are the designers and developers who've inspired you the most throughout your career? Oh, that's great. Um, That's a good question. Um, I think, again, I was mainly inspired in my early years uh, when I did art um, by Ralph McQuarrie. Sid Mead, Joe Johnston. I got to meet um, all three of those people in my career at Lucas, which is amazing to me. Um, um, Sid Mead came and gave a speech uh, at ILM, which is right next door to us, and we'd go over there, and I got to actually sit down and talk with the guy who designed the world of Blade Runner and and yeah. a million other things you probably didn't know about, including the walkers um, from Star Wars, were based on a drawing he did. 
Joe Johnston. Um, he's he gave us the Tie Fighters, the X Wings, the I mean, you know, the Star Destroyers, the 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 the, the nuts and bolts and the vehicles of Star Wars, really, and went on to become a really awesome filmmaker as well. And Ralph McQuarrie, I got a, I got to meet this legendary man. They they all had a huge impact on me as a kid and throughout my career. Um, as a game designer, it's a little harder to to pick the game designers, I guess, who've been inspiring to me because um, they're usually people behind the scenes that you're not celebrity, you know, people, yeah. right? Or mm-hmm. I usually I'll see a game that'll inspire me, or I'll play a game that'll inspire me, and and I'll think about um, things like that. Uh, um, but yeah, the, there's great. I'm usually more inspired by the content they create, right? Yeah, I thought Red, Red Dead Redemption Two is oh. phenomenal, right? Oh, it really is. Just, yeah. And I and I and I know that it's a it's a it's a horrible horrible development experience, depending on what article you read by whomever. Mm-hmm. But the at the end result is that is a game with a vision that was executed yeah. brilliantly, was, for the most part. Yeah. I still gorgeous. think it's frustrating as hell to like not be able to open a drawer or shake somebody's hand without shooting them or try to pet, pet your horse and you punching it. I mean, there's yeah, all this shit that's fundamentally broken. <laughs> but, but, that's but one as of my experience, videos. Where he's just like, yeah. calm down, boy. You think you're tough, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, riding a horse into a tree to the point where the horse kills itself. That's you fucking stupid. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, it you're really building is. some code that prevents a horse from running itself into a tree and killing itself. However, yeah. the overall, you know, if you see the forest for the trees, it is a brilliant, brilliant it uh, is. game. I, yeah. I nearly gave up on that game because of the controls. Like a couple of hours in, but my it, Martin but the again world second is time is so coming addictive. Up. Yeah, he was like, right? just trust me, stick with it because of how good the story yeah. is, and I'm so yeah. so glad that I did. Yeah, Arthur, Arthur Morgan's Morgan one of my amazing. favorite video game characters of all time. Definitely. Oh, he's fantastic. It's just a, and it's a world that's just that's just so immersive. I just love it. So yeah, I mean mm. those those are the things that inspire me, right? now now more than yeah. I guess people behind the scenes doing it. Yeah. Uh, the next question here is. If you were to lead on, if you were to be lead on any project with total free reign to make whatever game you want, what would you make? Hmm. Wow, that's a good question. Yeah. You think insane genre? Would you answer for that? <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer for that one. Yeah. Um, it would probably be open world. I've I've had the most fun working in open world uh, games, mm-hmm. and I have the most fun playing open world games. Um. I loved being able to be involved with the the Forza Horizon games mm-hmm. made by Playground. Um, you know, uh, they're it's very focused. You're in a car and you're having lots of fun in amazing cars in a yeah. beautiful world. But uh, I think that there's there's yeah there's probably an adventure game in an open world that's I probably wouldn't want it to be in Star Wars just because of the, yeah. the baggage there. But at the same time, yeah. there's probably still is that open world star wars bounty hunter game that needs to be made that i wouldn't mind being a part of by honestly. you yes we want to see that <laughs> if you please yeah. please do it i certainly know what kind of games you should not make given okay. the amount of you know success and failures of star wars over the years so i could probably bring a lot to that party yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do this okay we J-Man, have J-Man. this mistake here's with that last uh, question from richard patty this is the very last question on the list from a good friend, Richard Patty, and he says, why aren't there many, if any, obvious bathrooms in Star Wars? 
<laughs> That's a question that we've always wanted to uh, answer. Um, when we do design the spaceships, we actually did design. We always design a little, a little the galley where they cook their food. Yeah. You never see people eating either. You saw no, Luke, you don't. I guess, yeah. eating a couple times. And Darth Vader had a nice dinner table set up for everybody. He <laughs> did, and they came in and shot at him. Yeah. <laughs> and so, he was so. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. But you know, yeah, you see Luke eating, you know, a little piece of thing at, at, when he's a kid, and also on Dagobah. But yeah, eating and and uh, getting rid of that food mm. are two things that you just don't see and I, I think it's kind of funny but you know then again there are no toilets in minecraft either and the world still seems pretty engrossing they to do people, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't Yo, mando, have a toilet? mando has a toilet in his ship right uh i i would imagine so i don't know i mean i, I think we actually the got first in trouble episode. one of the one of the teams got in trouble for doing a stormtrooper toilet uh in dark forces there was another another thing that got in trouble before that i don't ne- really need to get into this a little bit i think it was a it was a stormtrooper smoking lounge and dead Ewok collection. Oh, wow. I, think, I think actually someone got fired for that. Really? Um, Easter eggs. Yeah, wow. Easter eggs that level designers like to sneak into games. Um, yeah, I think there was a there was an Ewok torture chamber somewhere that you know someone found out about. Oh wow! You know. Yeah. Um, oh god. Yeah, I, shouldn't kind of be, I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh. No, got before there was a lot of before there were a lot of eyeballs on you know on the on what we were doing in the mm-hmm. early nineties and mid nineties. We were, we were started at, started to have more rules that we adhered to. Um, I mean, I, even in shadows of the empire, we had a Sam and Max icon as one of the challenge points she picked up, which were otherwise very star Warsy. And then suddenly we had the Sam and Max one again, a stupid in joke yeah. that we did that. It's like, when you think about it, why the hell would you do that? Like, Nobody knows what Salmon Max is, or it doesn't belong in Star Wars. Is the main thing, even Salmon if everybody did know what Salmon Max was. And Grim Fandango, Max the cartoon, amazing. It's yeah, yeah. It's a point-and-click adventure game starring a detective dog and a, and a rabbit, mental right? bunny yeah, rabbit. Very, uh, very right. mental bunny, and yeah, the challenge point was in the shape of uh, the bunny head. So it was yeah. really weird. The other day, I was watching something, and something came up on the screen, and. I'd gone out the room and as I came in, I couldn't see what it was, but I'd, it was a frame of just like a window. And I was like, is that Sam and Max? And then when the screen changed, it was, it was that program. And yeah, I'm, there's I'm, a new Sam and Max coming. Yeah, yeah. is that what it was? Oh, yeah, right. there's a new one. There's a new one called, um, this time it's virtual. Right, I, I must've just recognized yeah. the voice. I'd, I didn't even realize that's what it, I never really watched it as a kid. Yeah. That's what was weird, but yeah, I recognized it. Grim Fandango is amazing as well. If you've not played that, it has. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen that one. Manny Calavera. What an yeah. absolute beast. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant game. Yeah. So good. Uh, Wait, right. Well, so that all is all of our questions. Yeah, that's everything. Uh, we usually end our show with a weekly recommend. Things ever watched and played to recommend to you. As we mentioned, John. So if you have anything you'd like mm. to shout out at the end of the show, any books, games, movies, anything like that. Oh, well, let's see. Uh, well, I could tell if people out there who haven't played the Forza Horizon games yet, um, this is kind of your last chance to play the one that came out in 2016, mm-hmm. uh, Forza Horizon 3. In, in our world uh, of licensing cars, um, it's kind of like the life of a replicant. You know, they only get four years. Yeah. There's a four-year there's a four-year lifespan and reference. then we can't sell the game or any of its DLC anymore. And so Forza Horizon 3 for me was a, it's a really proud moment and, you know, 
expanding the Forza franchise, you know, yeah. from racetracks to open world was kind of really fun to be able to do with Playground in the early days. But with with Horizon Three, they really hit it out of the park, and that will be end of lifing uh, this fall. So I think of end of September, maybe. Um, you won't be able to buy that or the incredible Hot Wheels expansion that they made for it or any of that stuff. So, And it'll probably be really cheap, so it's probably a good time to get your hands on that game. Mm-hmm. And it's not one of the titles on Game Pass. Um, right, right. Okay. So it's it's probably probably good to go and, and get that one up because that, that's when it really blew up as a series um, okay. for good reason. It's yeah. an amazing, fun game in a, in a really beautiful world. Even if you're not really into racing games and you, you like open world games, uh, I, I think you'll have a lot of fun. So, that's my that's kind of a plug for my friends at Playground. Yeah, hey, um, completely allowed. It's completely allowed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can send our sponsorship money in the post. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of shows and TV, TV shows and movies and things like that, uh, yeah, uh, watch The Mandalorian. I'm sure everybody watching this uh, is a Mandalorian fan. And Cobra Kai, like. Holy crap! I had no idea that was a thing. Um, that is a riot. I sat yeah. down and watched it in two days. I'm oh, not wow. checked that out yet, but I will definitely Entire two check it out. <laughs> Yeah, I have to pace myself, but when I binge watch a show, I'm I'm all in, just like a game, right? Just like Rainbow Six Siege. Like I just can't stop playing for six months or something. I have quit. I have since quit Rainbow Six Siege, though. I, uh, I had to for my own cold turkey. Health. To cut it off. I was the same with Destiny. I had to take a break. I just couldn't yeah. put the hours in anymore. Oh, chasing that number, right? Uh, just, you know, uh, get your power level. Just uh, ten more points. Just, I know. Yeah. I just, I just, I just need the legs for this. I just need the legs, and then I'm at max power, and I don't have to worry. And it, I get drops for everything but legs. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's about. That's about it. Yeah. Trying that. I don't know what I recommend. Uh, getting haircuts regularly. I have my haircut, and it's amazing. That's why I, I am recommend. obviously ignoring that. Yeah, yep. there you go. That's right, Harrison, <laughs> breaking the rules. Always, you got to do it. You got to wow. do it, man. Uh, I am going to recommend... What am I going to recommend this week? I'm going to recommend a song, which I wouldn't usually recommend, and it's a song by Dead Mouse. I'm just going to find the title of it. So, obviously, you're familiar with Dead Mouse, Jordan. Are you familiar with Dead Mouse, Jordan? Yes, in fact, I, I met him, and uh, we it. got to help him into the McLaren. That he, he was one of the first people to buy a McLaren Seta in real life. Right. But he got to sit in one for the first time at E3 when, nice. we, uh, when we unveiled uh, Forza Horizon 4. So um, that was kind of cool. And then I helped him uh, into the, the hydraulic demo machine that we had for, you know, you can play eight minute, the first eight minutes of the game in this really incredibly fun hydraulic oh, cool. uh, That's great. simulation chair. And, and he did really well. So I, I hope he finally got his McLaren Senna. I think, yeah. I think he probably did. I imagine yeah. he did. He's a very wealthy man with a lot of nice cars, I believe. Um, we were so, yeah. when Carlos was on, actually, we were talking about that. I got to drive one of the McLarens round Alton Racetrack uh, a oh, few nice. years ago. Yeah, it was great fun. I did an experience drive with a McLaren and an Audi R8 V10, the new one. And it's, oh. Well, that does not sound yeah. like a bad day. It was a great day. A great birthday, that was. Um, <laughs> well, the, the track I'm going to recommend is a song called 10.8 from Mouseville Level 2. Just check it out. Okay. It's so cool. It's such a weird song. It's got all like chains and gears being tightened in tune and it like clicks around your head that tunes into the music. It's just, it's ri- a sonic journey. It really is. Cool. Check that 10. one out. 10.8. Yes, yeah, 10.8. And you, Jordan, what are you going to recommend? Haircuts. That is it. Haircuts. I, I, 
I don't know. You can have um, Hackers. I mean, you can stick with Hackers. That's fine. Rimworld's really fun. Rimworld. Okay, we'll go with Rimworld. I, think I might have already recommended that at some point. Yeah, but... It's all right. Don't worry. It's been a long stream. It's all right. So thank you guys for watching on stream. We'll say goodbye to you and we'll carry on with Jonas over when we log off of here. But we'll see you soon. And thank you. And we'll see you on Wednesday, guys. Bye-bye. All right, John, you don't have to go. Sometimes our guests just like log off straight away when we end the stream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm out. Cut. But that, yeah, thank. Honestly, this has been one of the most informative episodes, and it's been genuinely incredible to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so great.